Check, check, check. This is the Beers, Beats and the Beers podcast back in effect for another week and broadcasting live from the Shire Studios down here in the sunny south of Brisbane. Welcome back, guys. Thank you very much for uh, tuning into our first episode with Shawnee B. That episode hit uh, hit top five on the iTunes music charts, on the music podcast charts in the country. And we also went top 10 in the uh, Spotify charts of uh, the Spotify podcast charts, that is, overall. So, yeah, stoked. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in. Thank you very much for your support. If you want to support this podcast in any which way, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash beers, beats, and the biz. And man, you can kick in you can help out because yeah anything fucking helps man like it's uh it's greatly appreciated any time you give us any investment you make we definitely will attempt to uh give you the same in return for what it is we do and what it is we're doing is this podcast and like i just mentioned we had shawnee b on the last episode and it was great man he um is an old friend the first person to ever put me in a studio actually or the first person to put me in a studio and say rap anyway let's put it like that and man, we went through that history. Shawnee had just gotten back from the States and he was leaving for Melbourne the next day. So yeah, man, we were stoked um, to have him join us. And we went through fucking everything. I mean, that dude's been around forever since the eighties. He was um, down there in Paran, he was DJing, he was producing, he's doing all kinds of shit. I mean, honestly, that episode was more of just a catch up and a shit talk because I hadn't seen Sean in fucking months and I'd been trying to get him on. And you know, he'd done a lot, man. The Resin Dogs, produced for Lays, produced for Brad, um, produced for me. Um, fucking, I'm pretty sure he produced for Reason, which we didn't go into. And he's probably done a couple of other joints. I think he did a joint for Dwiz once and you know he's done a ton of shit that we didn't go into but yeah I mean that was a fucking three-hour conversation that just went everywhere like seriously man we're talking talking a bunch of fucking old mouth shit old mouths talking old mouth shit you know so (laughs) whinging complaining and fucking pontificating over a time once been or once gone you know or once what a time that once was (laughs) but you know that's what it is some days and fucking man once again thank you very much to Shawnee B and once again thank you very much to you guys for tuning into that and supporting that episode and you know supporting this podcast because this week we are back with the one and only platonic lab the uh touring drummer for the hilltop hoods but beyond that like fuck so much um he was a key contributor to the sort of height of the obesity he was doing a lot of production for those releases working with pegs working with muffin platonic obviously dielectrics um countless others he produced you know massive a massive amount of records through that era and going all the way back to nuff said where he also produced and contributed to a massive amount of records um this is a fucking in my books a great interview man like you know platonic was dope gave us you know a couple of hours of his time and you know just went through it all man like yeah it was fucking great from the nuff said years or actually pre the nuff said years how he sort of got into drumming got into music and all that sort of shit through the nuff said days where he you know where he was working with prowls and jace and you know watching the rock the city album come together watching lone wolf come together um, he talks about DJing. We talk about this dope record that he was involved in by a dude called Sean Love and uh, the Blackout of '77. We talk about Madlock. We talk. We go into the obese years. We talk about part- partnering up with Pegs and the Muffin Platonic shit, and then. You know, all the um, Triple J and ARIA nominations and Triple J awards and, you know, programming rage and then moving on to Golden Era and all that sort of shit. And like, fuck, man, performing in front of 80,000 people, you know, that sort of shit, touring the world, touring the globe. Like, this man's done it, man. This man has, you know, 
gone on to massive things and continues to do great things. The uh, recent Franco project that he did, a little indie release with... Um, Oh, the chick's name eludes me at the moment. I can't remember it, but check it out. Sounds like Franco because the shit's dope. Like the the shit's crazy, man. His production is fucking sick. And man, he's been about it. He's been about it forever. Um, the Crib with Guilty Simpson, another joint of his recently that we touched on. But yeah, we, we go into it all with him from, you know, as we've said, Rock the City through Obese up to Golden Era. And man, once again, thank you to Platonic for giving us all his time. And thank you to you guys for uh, once again, making an investment in this podcast, because this is a cracker of an episode, man. There's mad stories in there. Like this dude's done it. This dude tours, this dude fucking is about it and has been about it and will continue to be about it. So, you know, we'll keep at it. We'll keep being about it. If you want to support this podcast, once again, patreon.com forward slash beers beats the biz any assistance is great assistance you can follow us at beers beats the biz on all social media instagram facebook love you know rah 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 all that shit you'll find us out there um yeah go like us rate us um subscribe on itunes spotify soundcloud and keep supporting beers beats and the biz man we're back in effect we're about to give the drummer some so let's get into this uh platonic lab Open up the app and the music appears But you don't see the hard work, blood, sweat, tears Three minute videos, days spent filming those Airports, sound check, live shows, studios, managers, promoters Labels, graphic design, there's a lifetime behind every rhyme Victory, failure, profit and the cost If we don't pass it on, then the history is lost Want an album review? Then you're paying for ads You want a half-page story? Cost you double for that And the radio's the same, gotta show them the money Cause they shelter and their listeners like bad boy Bubby Ignorance is bliss, but it isn't if you're missing the foundation That's why we had this conversation You wanna know the real deal? Here it is You're tuned in to Beers, Beats and the Beers all right, check, check, check. This is Beers, Beats and the Biz, the podcast. We are back in effect, finally, man. It's been a long time coming. We've had a month or two off, but we are back. We are live. And this today, we are live. Man, we are blessed to have uh, an uh, uh, like a dude that's essentially like a main artery of hip-hop in this country has been making music for 25 years. Um, man, he's just come off performing for 80,000 people. He just did a Triple J-like a version um, man, he's coming off the back of a world tour announcement. This dude's a drummer, a producer, a DJ, um, just a master of sound, man. It is exciting for us. It is exciting for me to introduce Platonic Lab to the mic. Thank you very much, mate, for being on the show. Hey, cheers, man. That's a pretty uh, crazy intro there. Oh, dude. Well, it's a crazy <laughs> intro because it's a crazy contribution you've made over the course of time, man. Like, you know, like, dude, I say you are a main artery in that you've been th like, you know, your career spans 20, you know, damn near 25 years in this country of making music, live instrumentation, production, all that sort of contribution, you know, like you go through the mid 2000s, you are essentially responsible for some of those key OB songs that, you know, crossed over and made, you know, made obese what it was man you know you were the dude behind a lot of that music and up until today where you know like i was talking to you just briefly off air like the the franco release with natalie and then also man the role you've just sort of slid into with the hoods dude being a music dude like yourself a dude that just started out on the kit just you know bashing drums just fucking around doing whatever what is it like now man to be you know t sort of 25 years removed from well not 25 years removed from that kid because we're all still that kid that's why we do what we do we love this music shit but 
<sighs> like to be now performing in front of 80,000 fucking people at, where was that, Rod Laver or MCG or? Um, that was MCG. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ, man. You like so fucking. Like one of, I guess MCG is like one of the biggest uh, sporting arenas in the world, I guess. It's sort it of do. up there. It holds 100,000 or something. Yeah, man. Melbourne Cricket Ground. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of started music um, probably at the in the early 80s. Yes. Yep. Uh, drumming, which is my, my dad was a musician. Um, he sort of did it part-time pretty much. Mm. And uh, we always had <clears throat> musical instruments and stuff in the house, and so I had an interest pretty early on. Um, so yeah, I started playing drums first and all, I, I guess all I really wanted to do was be in a band in yeah. the 80s. That yeah. was um, me kicking around as a, as a teenager in the, in the 80s and uh, listening to everything, not just hip hop, but um, just all kinds of music really. Yeah. Were like you a teenager the, of the 80s, were you? Yeah. So yeah. I started drumming in 19... Uh, I guess it was 79, 80 would have Shit. been because I was in primary school and then and then entered into high school. Um, I'd already started playing drums by then. What was influencing you to, you know, fucking, <clears throat> you know, to take that path at that point in time? What 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 what, what did you hear? What was influencing you to, you know, smash that? Oh, man, just uh, I guess a kid from the northern suburbs in Melbourne is just kind of like whatever was on the radio, you know, yeah. this is like way, way pre-internet and oh, exactly. um, being pretty kind of savvy to anything we had um, in the eighties. We had, we still had our uh, community radio, yep. uh, PBS and triple R and stuff. So you'd hear kind of like weird shit mm. and get interested in stuff. And I'd have to go, um, I'd have to get trained into the city and there were kind of like specialist sort of record stores in there. Yeah. And if you didn't do that, you were kind of stuck in the burbs and going to like, um, you know, your regular uh, record store, which had very limited kind of options and stuff. So Yeah, man. What did you have down there? Did you have brushes and all that sort of shit back <laughs> Yeah, we had um, – yeah. it was at Northland in uh, East Preston and uh, we had brushes. Yeah, yeah, And they had yeah. like a – had a very small section called Indie or yep. – uh, I think they might have even had a triple R section as well mm. with like – I don't know, 20 records in it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the impact of like 3PBS and Triple R on, you know, someone of your age coming up at that point in time, you know, community radio? Was it having a sort of major impact on you? It was huge because yeah. um, I, I didn't really have many people around me growing up that was super interested in music. Yeah. They were probably more interested in doing crimes and drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's just kind of like um, just – you know, having that uh, access to music that I would never have found on my own. Mm. Um, and just, I guess it was really down to like the um, the uh, uh, people that were just, you know, giving their time to having those shows and sharing that music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just discovered, I mean, a lot of those, a lot of the music from the 80s is stuff that I still kind of hold on to today that kind of like my influences in a way, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, me too, man. Like I often tell people that for me, discovering new music is discovering an album I, I'm unaware of, you know, from 88 to 94, <laughs> you know, like that's more yeah, right. me, me listening to new music these <clears throat> days, just some shit I hadn't heard that came out of that era. But like, obviously, man, like there's a real, uh, you know, it's funny that you should say that because I find that there's a real essence, you know, that sort of indie essence is still in your music, like listening to the Sounds Like Franco EP this week and um the single and all that sort of shit with uh natalie slade man like are you you spending a lot of time or you know are you spending much of your spare time sort of developing artists or is she was she an already established artist 
Uh, I guess she's established in a way, like she's um, collaborated a lot with uh, Space Invaders, mm-hmm. which is um, Catalyst and Steve SpaceX project. Oh, okay, well, uh, she's done a lot of um, jazz kind of stuff in New Zealand and in Sydney. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I knew her from a project uh, she was in uh, called Yum Yum, and um, that was kind of like more of a soul. Uh, beats kind of project and um a a friend of mine daniel son was mastering that release and that's the first time i really heard her yeah so it took us a little while to get together and actually make music but um yeah just like uh we're sort of continuing to write and we have uh more stuff recorded and just trying to get another ep together Mm, how do you find like how do you find that like with because it seems like you sort of do spend a bit of time developing you know developing an artist you've spent so much time in the game doing your own thing you know you've you now have a fucking solid footing being you know i mean what's your role in the hoods these days you like sort of live percussionist or what what the fuck Uh, just tour drummer pretty much but you're Um, also producing haven't um, you produced a couple uh, yeah yeah i've produced a couple i produced uh um, well, that was pretty crazy, actually, because I mixed I mixed their last rec- their last album. Yep. Uh, so I guess I could say I mixed the number one album now. Yeah, which is do. pretty crazy. And right. um, I did two two tracks um, on the last record. I've done remixes and stuff for them in the past. Yep. Um, I don't know why. I mean, they've <clears throat> always asked me for beats and stuff. I don't know why it took me so long to get around to mm. actually, you know, getting on their albums and stuff. Um, uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, leave me lonely. Just went double platinum recently, <sighs> which is fucking wild, man. To me. That's it's um, crazy, isn't it? It's crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, those I mean, dudes. Good. Sorry, I know. I was just saying. I guess it's like you know, I would never probably have a double platinum record if it wasn't for them you know yeah. affording me the opportunity yeah 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 to yeah. do something with them they're such a huge group i oh, they're, they're stratospheric these days aren't they and i mean you know we mentioned it briefly in the intro a world tour man you know so you now not only you know get to you know like you used to make that trek to those record stores in town you now get to fucking trek to record stores internationally man. like that's <laughs> yeah, a fucking, yeah, I try to. that's I mean, an amazing um, shit man like you know yeah. world tour yeah i mean i've tried to um I've been doing the drums for them live on, t- and we've been going overseas for. Well, I've been going overseas with them for about coming up to eight years now. Fuck. Okay. Yep. So we've done a bunch of world tours. I mean, this is the first time they've announced um, the a world tour in one go. Yes. Yeah. So yep. usually they would just do it in legs. So yep. you'd have Europe and North America and wherever. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, I, tr- I try to. I mean, touring can be kind of grueling. Um, it just depends who you're with and you mm. you know you often get a little bit of time off and you, you know how you choose to spend that whether you're digging for records or yeah having fun or checking out sites or whatever it is yeah um, exactly exactly what are your tips depends. for touring like you know now that you have toured so extensively do you have any tips you know for dudes doing that sort of international travel like even if they're just fucking backpacking or some shit man you know like um i don't know i think like um it really just comes down to touring with people that you really like and also people that have, have that sort of even keel, yeah. um, even temperament. I mean, I, I, I don't, can't imagine. I mean, I know people that tour and really hate it and I think it's down to – it really comes down to people. Mm, mm. Um, you don't you don't want to be any sort of volatile situations or, yeah, you know, have, yeah. have someone a bit loose, I guess, because it's such a – yeah, it's a, you're in a, confi- a confined – space with people and you you do have it's difficult sometimes so yeah fucking if if you're with people that can have a you know you know 
have a good sense of humor about things and mm. you're actually having fun even mm. when things are a bit wild it's still fun yeah man i think yeah. that's super important rather than just stressing yeah um, absolutely and it can, and it can it. it can definitely be a fucking grueling thing like i mean i've never i've never toured on any kind of fucking scale like you're talking but just doing you know those you know doing like you said the legs you know like years ago when we do melbourne sydney brisbane or some shit like that you know you might do melbourne one night then you'd be back in brisbane the next night like fucking mm. even that was grueling man like two shows in a night you know like because you know there's all the bullshit that goes along with it the drinking and whatever but obviously i suppose once you get into that routine of touring you know where you can and you can't party or you know where you can you know when you, you know when you've yeah. got to fucking toe the line i, mean, I guess do- everyone has their has their own barometer yes for what they what they're gonna do and i mean <clears throat> the bottom line is that you're there for a reason and you gotta kind of bring it yeah, um, yeah. it's work isn't it be, pro- be professional i suppose yeah man yeah, yeah yeah it's work dude i mean it sounds fucking it sounds glamorous and all kinds of shit from the outside it's not glamorous <laughs> nah dude no 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 it's fucking not glamorous yeah. when That's you're doing a bit of a joke with us like um you find yourself in situations like, ah, it's so glamorous. And it's just, nah, <laughs> nah, it's the fucking furthest. Ironically, it's not. Nah, it's the furthest thing from fucking glamorous. And when you're doing those international dates, are you driving between dates or are you flying? Um, depends. Yeah. Um, sometimes we've done tours where it's mostly been flying, which is actually kind of, I feel like that's probably the worst way to do it because yeah. um, you spend so much time uh, waiting around and in airports and it's, it's kind of a big pain in the ass. Um, probably the, the best way to do it is um on a sleep on bus okay yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so that's that's because basically you kind of you can do your show you don't have to like wake up for any stupid lobby call crazy mm. hours in the morning yeah. you're just kind of getting on the bus and you can party on the bus and then you can go to sleep in your bunk and then the driver will drive overnight somewhere and you kind of wake up somewhere new yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um that's and how that's like how it goes little, when you hit the big leagues <laughs> yeah i guess so i mean i've only done a, a little bit but um yeah uh, then you got you got the other way, whereas like you're just staying in hotels and you're in a van, and then it's like just you are flying because mm. um, sometimes I guess the tour dates line up in a way that's not so much you know um, ducks in a row, so you kind of have to crisscross a little bit. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 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 And how is the reception over there at the moment? Like, you know, for the hoods, because it's, I mean, who out of this country or who, like, I mean, I mean, let's be honest, man. I mean, for all the hoods, or the hoods stratospheric success, they're still fucking Adelaide hip hop artists, man. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's phenomenal, phenomenal to think, man. Like what is the reception to them as hip hop artists in the States and Europe? Are they getting crowds? Like, is it a, is it a good turnout? Or is it a lot? Is it yeah, a lot of expats? Yeah, you know, expats. No, it's always surprising because I think when I first started doing it, um, my perception was that it was going to be um, a lot of expats and stuff. But I, I've yep. been sort of really surprised by um, the diversity of yeah. the audiences. I mean, especially in Europe, we're doing quite big rooms and stuff now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it kind of depends in the states, I guess. Um, sometimes the most successful spots are sort of more the um, places with big universities and stuff. It's yes. more of a sort of college crowd. Yeah, college towns, definitely, man. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, stuff like that. I mean, yeah, it's always surprising to me. It's like uh, – and I guess as far as them being um, like a hip-hop group from Adelaide, I, I guess I sort of consider them more just – they're just like a – they're just like a big group mm. in Australia, like one of the biggest artists in Australia. Exactly. Regardless yeah. of genre because I feel like – I reckon a lot of their fan base, well, from what I can perceive, probably don't even really follow oh, no, uh, Ozrap. They're just into like 
bands, you know what I mean? That's they're, correct. They're into the hoods and they're into like what yeah. you know, whoever else they're into simultaneously. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. They're festival <laughs> crowds. They're sort of transient crowds. You know, they're crowds that might not engage entirely with one specific genre, but yeah. they're they're, they're also falls, like um, man. They're, they're also a, like a long. They've got a long-standing um, audience as well. That have yeah. people that have stuck by them for years and years. I mean, not so much festival crowds, but just. You know, people that would just you know kind of diehard fans, I suppose. Yeah, definitely, man. No, I like I don't I don't say that as any sort of detriment or as any. Oh, sort no, no. Of <laughs> slide this. Like I say that I say that to sort of prop them because I think at their core, like I mean, I don't really know them on that personal level. We've done shows with them way back when, and I've met Suffer a few times and whatever, and Debris and all them. But like to me, they they seem like just fucking hip hop dudes from Adelaide. You know, like regardless of the immense success they've achieved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they haven't really changed much mm. um, from the time I first met them. Mm. So that's kind of – that's phenomenal in a way. Yeah, absolutely. They can man. just be – so they're just sort of solid, um, real sort of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. you got to help us get them on the show, man, when they come to Brisbane for those fucking <laughs> yeah, sold-out river stage gigs. Put in a word. <laughs> yeah, dude. Fuck, I need to hit you up to get us on the door for that shit, man. I want to fucking come to one of those shows. I haven't <laughs> been to a hood show since the Hard Road Tour, man, like when we supported them. And 750 supported them, we almost got booed off stage, like in the arena. Oh, shit. Dude, you sold out. Bro, sold out 4,000 fucking people in the arena here in Brisbane, which is a venue on um, Brunswick Street. For those that don't know, that's now something else. I think it's probably fucking a block of units by now. But um, yeah, yeah man. man, motherfuckers chanting, Hilltops yeah. for a 750 show. It's brutal. That. I've seen that happen a few times. <laughs> dude, it was brutal. But, you know, that shit is character building. <laughs> but, man, honestly, dude, like, you know, let's go back a little, bro, because you're, you've put out music independently. You've, um, as you said, you know, you've been drumming since the late 70s, early 80s, but you initially sort of um, found, you know, sort of minor success or, you know, found gigging around Melbourne with a crew called the Macronauts. Am I correct? Yeah. I mean, I guess like in the early to mid 90s, um, there wasn't a huge amount of uh, local rap. I mean, there were definitely like um, a solid bunch of people doing it. But yep. I think it was like a little bit. We had there's nowhere near cracked any kind of like uh, recognition or yeah, fuck no. There was nothing really happening on. There was no tours to be had. There was no real radio play to be had. Mm. Um, so all the stuff that I guess kids coming up now they can see there's a definite path laid out that you can kind of like follow or, yeah. um, you know they I guess feel like there there are things to be kind of achieved. I get I guess like at the time. Yeah. Um, I was, I guess I was like got into, um, being in hip hop group around 93, four, um, and then, uh, took us a little while to put any product out, which is in 95, uh, if you don't mind me, just, I don't mean to interrupt, but what was the transition Mm. for you? Like clearly, you know, you, you started out as a drummer probably Mm. wasn't, you know, hip hop probably wasn't your first influence. What was the transition for you between, you know, wanting to be a drummer, then becoming, you know, a a hip hop drummer in a way? Uh, I met a, um, in high school, met a, a teacher who had at the time in the late eighties, uh, kind of pretty, uh, sort of well put together home studio. Yep. Yep. And this is in the days where there was, you know, didn't have like um, Pro Tools and stuff. It was all like reel to reel, eight tracks and drum machines and yeah. um, you know mixing desks and stuff. And um, I was just in a fortunate position where uh, he, you know, I, I was because I was quite okay at um, playing drums at that point. I would just go and like um, record drums for his band and stuff and do mm. get 
to know how to do studio recording. So I guess that was like learning how to produce without even knowing what production was really, but just learning about recording. Yep. And uh, he would he would sort of go overseas on these stints um, and need someone to mine his place. So I would have like, you know, a few weeks at a time here and there um, just in this house with a home studio in it. Yeah. <laughs> so I just like it was kind of like just learning on my feet and working out how to record and, you know, use synthesizers and drum machines and stuff but i yep. you know i didn't really know what a producer was i just wanted to make music yeah yeah so i went from that to um i think we did a couple of tapes actually um with that guy and a few others mm. in that band around i think we did one in 1990 and one in 91 Shit. i think it was the yeah. next year so yeah just which was <clears throat> uh, my production and um, playing instruments and stuff but like i said i didn't really know what being a producer was yeah that's it what were you um, listening to what was you know what was popping in 1990 that was you know making you get down and do that oh man there's still kinds of this is sort of like in a period where um even like indie groups were using like drum loops and yeah. um so it's a bit of a mashup of things i guess i you know i wasn't really like uh to be honest i wasn't really like a full like hip-hop head anyway nah, nah. i was just into music and i was listening to you know I was listening to Ice-T and fucking Brian Eno simultaneously. Yeah, 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 I, yeah it I just had a pretty broad taste in music. Yeah. Um, and I think my whole uh, thought process was I just wanted to be in a band and record music. Mm. Um, so yeah. I think I think it was around – so I was in a few bands. I was playing um, some African music at the time and, and I was in a reggae band. I was in sort of some other indie band with – we were using drum machines and stuff. So – I was just, you know, going fucking balls out, just yeah. doing as much as I could and being interested in everything. Yeah, man. Um, and then I met a guy who had moved from LA to Melbourne. He had married a girl out here and um, he was an MC. And we ended up um, sort of getting together and because uh, I already had all this sort of um, studio recording experience and knew how to put stuff together, mm. um, just started making beats mm. and then pretty quickly became absolutely addicted to sampling. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, what were you using at that point in time? Like what sort of equipment did you – were you using were – you, well, what sort of equipment were you fucking around with in 1991, like SP-12s and shit like that or uh, – I didn't really – we had like the first sampler I used was a Mirage. Okay. Which is an Ensonic machine, which is super limited. Yeah. Uh, and mostly I was just using um, – drum machines and sequences and stuff. Yeah, okay. And I uh, eventually uh, hooked up with a guy who had who'd sort of spent money on an ASR-10. I was going to say an ASR when you said Ensonic. <coughs> I thought, yeah, that might have been the next yeah, sort of fucking Yeah, so thing. ASR-10. I never really fucked with MPCs really. Yeah. It's like always it's like a, a keyboard sampler dude, which is fucking strange because as a drummer, like you'd think pads would be the way to go. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I just put all the drums on the black keys of the yeah of the Ensonic and – because so, I was a bit raised, and then yeah, are you still using the, like Are you still using the ASR? Because I was watching the um, video you did with Guilty Simpson, and I thought, was that an ASR you were sort of triggering on? Um, no, like um, I got rid of I yeah, I got rid of my ASR ten. Okay, yeah, uh, probably in I uh, was sometime in the early two thousands. Yeah, 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 yeah. And for those listening that don't sort of you know that. Uh, don't have that that ear for fucking um or that knowledge of um uh, fucking you know drum machines and pr production equipment and all that sort of shit. Just Google this shit, man. ASR, ASR tens. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like an overlooked machine in, in some ways. I mean, people yeah. kind of know what it is, but like um, 
I guess uh, Kanye and RZA and Alchemist, um, uh, Timberland, and yep. all, I mean all these people use that machine. They're just not as sexy as a yeah. MPC. They don't have that kind of iconic sort of look of a you know drum machine sampler. Yeah, it's true. They don't have that. Yeah, they look more sort of I just like they just look keyboard, like a keyboard. Keyboard, kind of exactly. Yeah. But you know, RZA produced all the first Wu Tang records on a fucking ASR. Alchemist still uses the ASR. Yeah, yeah. Kanye Alchemist, still fucks so with many ASR. people, man. I yeah. mean, that's actually how I met Prowler. Is um, because he was he was using a uh, Insonic sixteen plus, which was the machine before ASR ten. Okay, fuck. Um, so I ended up uh, catching up with him at his place in Richmond because uh, I needed to put something. I needed to put some beats down onto a DAP machine because I think he had he had some. I was always poor as shit, so yeah. I didn't have like a DAP machine and all that kind of stuff. So I'd, I'd go over to his place and record beats from the ASR. Uh, so, yeah, no mixing desk, no nothing, just mixed inside the ASR. Yeah, just fucking dry that. straight in. Yeah. Yeah. Because the ASR-10 had some great, like, onboard effects and stuff as well, so you could kind of, like, resample shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was doing all kinds of stuff, like I'd get someone to come and play trumpet and, you know, sample that in and do it at different sample rates so you could do, like, have a trumpet solo happening in your beat and this all that kind of shit. Yeah, fuck it, yeah, I think it had, like, um, with the expander on that machine – uh, I think it had a pretty decent um, sampling time. Mm. I can't remember exactly. It was definitely probably more than a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you could make a beat and put like, you know, uh, vocal things on there or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could fuck around with it. <clears throat> well, were you using that heading into the Macronauts like when you made Mystery School? Yeah, so we made, um, we made it, all of our recordings uh, from – in the mid nineties or all the ASR ten. Yeah. And and whatever else and you know, I'd record drums and stuff and sample that in. Yeah. And I think like the the fact that it was a bit crusty kind of probably uh gave it a vibe. It probably was forgiving and that Dude, it's half its charm. Um, like it's half the, yeah, the, you know the music I mean? like of it, that it sort era. Of sounds like a sample rather than yeah. uh trying to make some sort of hi fi recording. Yeah, but, yeah. But um yeah. yeah, we just we used, we used to just go to um Stute like rent studios out to do vocals in and stuff. And um but yeah, I've got tapes and tapes of just us fucking around. We had a flat in St Kilda mm. for a few years there and just it was basically like just set it up kind of it was like a writing recording studio on the on a budget. Which yeah, was, yeah. You know, one of those things. I guess kids still do that now. You just get in a share house and pile all your equipment together and start making music. Yeah, well, that's it, man. You know, and it, but it's just, I mean, um, you know, producing, making music these days is so much more accessible to the period you're talking about, though, you know, where you oh, used yeah, to you go rent studio <laughs> space. I mean, you're talking about reels and all that sort of shit. We've spoken about reels, yeah. you know, reel to reel recording and all that sort of shit on past episodes and whatever, so you can go back through. We don't need to rehash that. But, man, like, yeah, you know, you've done the hard yards in that term and, you know, in, in those terms. Like, how do you find, like, going, going from those days where, you know, you sort of in studios in the early 90s and shit to, you know, the shit of today, like a fucking laptop, Pro Tools and, you know, fuck all yeah. else. Well, I don't miss and a mind. Um, being able to put, you know, I don't miss having to put like Simpty code on a track of, you yeah. know, an A track and trying to sync all the drum machines up and it was yeah. an absolute pain in the ass looking back on it. But, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> super, super fun like in terms of just being able to do it, you know. Oh, but, dude, um, now the learning like experience. The limit. You, you know? could, I mean, it's, People making whole albums just with a laptop and plugins, I guess. Yeah, but fucking a, dude. Like Jesus Christ, yeah, man, fucking a. But <coughs> you know, like the, with the Macronauts and stuff like that, you did a lot of gigging around Melbourne. You released an album, like you know, you released it independently or you self-funded it and 
put it uh, out. We we had an offer from Mushroom to put it out, but we were just such fuckheads. We just kept like um screwing up things, uh, <laughs> yeah. opportunities that would come to us. I think at one point we got offered a deal uh, with Roadrunner Records, who no shit. at the time, yeah, they were yeah. doing like Sepultura and stuff. Yeah, dude, so. they did all the heavy metal shit at the time, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, could have could have been something, man. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know, yeah. But we just kept sort of screwing up these things, but um, I think we used to get a lot of really great gigs. Um, back in the day, because um, I, I think firstly because we had an American MC, mm-hmm. and I think to Australians' ears that was probably it probably sounded more legitimate yeah, to yeah. you know people that weren't really uh, didn't give a fuck about um, having a culture here in Australia. Yeah, well, not at that. Point. So it was sort of yeah. So that not at that point, I guess it sort of it felt legitimate to them. So when people like um, DJ Shadow and mm-hmm. uh, Tricky and all those kind of people will come yep. through town. We would get the support slot because I guess they just thought they had limited. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a good fit for them yeah, in a certainly. lot of ways. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. And how did you find those slots at that point in time? Ah, amazing, man. Incredible. It's like a yeah. yeah, pretty incredible. I remember doing it was a uh, it wasn't really a festival, but it was like a um, I guess they would get all different bands from overseas. Um, so, like, I remember the first, uh, what was it? It was probably probably 94, I'm going to say 94, but mm. it was at the Palace in St Kilda and they had, there's all these kind of, like, uh, bands from Europe and um, DJ Crush played. And yeah. so we were in amongst all those kind of, those people at the time, I guess I felt like that was, you know, uh, you I felt like things. that's where we that's where we belonged. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I like this is like this. We could do something because there's obviously all this shit around the world that we like that we listen to and we're trying to emulate and be a part of. But there's not really that scene here in Australia. But we're gonna, I guess, this is what we want to do though. So we'll just keep um, keep keep at it. Keep plugging away until yeah. you know and the wrote, masses and, in Australia kind of get it. Yeah, hundred percent, dude. And you know, you you know, you're one of those fucking. You're one of those pioneers. You're one of the reasons that it's in the position it is in today. Or you know, you know, music, electronic music, hip hop music. You know, it's fucking. I mean, it's at the forefront of culture now. It is culture. It is popular music. You know, it's not what it was to us when we were kids, where it was subversive and underground, and your parents didn't like you listening to it. And you know, like yeah. it's it's yeah. fucking it's out there. But f- oh, fuck, I forgot what I was gonna say. But um, dude, like <laughs> like the you know like. Performing with those acts at that point in time, like man, that yeah, it must have been some amazing shit. But then labels approaching you too, like you just you just mentioned Roadrunner. I mean, Roadrunner did Fear Factory, Sepultura. They did a lot of the metal music at the time, I think Nail Bomb, and you know all that kind of shit. Like there, there was there was major label interest in you guys back then. Yeah, I mean they they gave they made us a three record offer, but like I said, we were just fucking idiots. So what are they offering? We, I that- think we, I think we are, I think we tried to ask them for more money. No so shit. Could, so that we could, um, so that we could uh, set yeah. up a studio, yeah, and record in it rather than spending our budget in studios and yeah, yeah, yeah. It made sense to us at the time, but I think looking back on it, they were probably taking a huge risk and didn't really know, um, you know, they're taking a punt on us, and we probably just mm. kind of seemed a bit too loose. <laughs> were they looking to? Were they looking to broaden? like what they what they were distributing or what they were putting out like was that yeah possibly i don't know i mean it seems a bit weird to me yeah now, like road back on it but um yeah i mean that's dope uh, yeah and, and i think um yeah mushroom at the time wanted to distribute us and um we fucked that up as well <laughs> <laughs> was, if you don't, don't mind know. me asking was there much money on the table like were they you know um it was it was definitely enough to um 
record yeah. the records and and definitely would have been able to recoup it. So yeah, yeah, uh, it wasn't like we were, you know, it's not like uh, it wasn't going to be life changing. It's not like you know people think back in the day. I mean, I don't know what other people were being offered, but it wasn't like we we're going to go all buy mansions and fucking nah. cars for each other and <laughs> um, buy our mum's house and shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did you take it that? Just... Take take that label budget, go buy an SUV and fucking <laughs> get the cheapest studio possible for the next it's week. Just, Boom. <laughs> yeah, it was more just kind of like, you know, some here's, chains. What we think, here's what we think it would cost to make a record and we yep. want you to make three of them. So yeah, we'll start yeah, you yeah. with this budget and we were just like, yeah, nah, man, we just, we're listening to rap records and mm. we think we can yeah. probably get this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, I mean, dude, there was fucking truckloads of money in the music industry in the nineties, wasn't it? Probably, and it's, yeah, it sort of shows. Yeah. Like you know, the probably you know, not so even, much for rap. What's that? Sorry, probably not so much for rap. In well, not Australia. so much for rap. But if you're in a, if you're in a grunge band or something, I bet there'd be big budgets for promotion and stuff. Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, not if you were into rap in this country, but like, oh, you know, like I remember, I don't know, fuck, I was reading some shit online, something about like the the money that was involved in like those early, like the Death Rose and the Bad Boys. And obviously we're not talking anything on that, that scale, but they were generating so much money for record oh, labels. Yeah, it was At, amazingly huge. Huge. But, I mean, Australia didn't have that market. No, 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 certainly not. You know? Certainly not. But how long, like back to the Macronauts, how long how long were you sort of a functioning act for? How long was you, were you touring? And- I think we folded in about... About, I'm going to say late 90, uh, I think we we did something for Creative Vibes on one of their compilations in 98, I mm. think it was, could have been 97, 98, somewhere around the late 80s. Yeah. Uh, sorry, 90s. 90s yeah. um, and then uh, that was probably around the same time because uh, I, I was doing like a, living in a warehouse in the city mm. in Melbourne and um. Uh, was living there with a jazz bass player and ended up doing these kind of like a uh, hybrid jazz uh, hip hop kind of like residencies yeah. in a few little clubs in the city. And that's how I kind of re-met um, Prowler because he wanted to come and um, be part of the band but just do um, scratching and stuff. So he just wanted to DJ with what you were doing initially? Yeah. So yeah. I guess I was sort of like, because I'm not a jazz player at all, so I guess me and him were kind of like the rap element. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was just playing breakbeats and shit, and yeah. he was scratching, and then the other three guys in the group were just sort of these VCA sort of um, jazz improv guys. Yep. So sort of had that thing going for a bit. Where's the initial um, introduction to Prowse? Uh, Do you recall? Just through, just because like there was just a certain amount of people doing um, rap music. Yeah, that's it. The, there was a limited the, amount of the, people. In the mid-90s, I just knew yeah. of him. And yeah. like I said, um, because he had some equipment that I wanted to rinse. <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's how we sort of met. And that's what and, I find um, so – that's one of the things I find so remarkable about what you've done, how you've sort of gone through – and not gone through cruise because you've sort of stayed true. You've just elevated doing what you do. But, you know, being indie, like being indie, releasing with the Macronauts, then going through the Nuff Said years and we'll get to Obese, but then on to Golden Era. Like, man, I, like you've been – just this fucking, not a transcendent figure, but this figure that's just been constant through it all, through the indie, through the boom of it all, through the fucking Triple J years, the boom, 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 you know? Like, it's it's an amazing thing, man, you know? Like, what you've fucking done. Well, I think it's kind of like the music part of it's the thing that's always driven me. Yes. Uh, sometimes at the expense of, you know, relationships and stuff, which mm. sucks. But, mm. um, mm. yeah, I've always just, I just, I'm just interested in making music and, um, yeah, so I've always just soldiered on with that. So when things fold or shit, you know, things turn to shit, I just, you know, 
I go where the music's being made or yes. where the opportunities with the music are. So yeah, yeah. That, so, I guess that's that's the thing that's pulled me through. Yeah, hundred percent. So with enough said, you know, like meeting prowls and all that sort of thing, th those relationships start to build, and you become one of the sort of key producers for the label. Yeah, so I mean, I guess '99 was when Rock the City came out. Oh, um, what a so compilation! That was my first, yeah, yeah, that was my first kind of like. Um, so we were like, uh, actually, the Madlock track on that record as well. We Incredible, dude! At Incredible the, at the warehouse. Um, yep. that I was living at. So that was just I had this old TAC, uh would have been like an eight-track TAC mixer mm. Mm. into like a would have been a DAT machine, and um, we just set up mics and. That track was part of, I think we got five or six songs that I don't think anyone's ever heard them, but that was one of them that we liked. Yeah. Um, so that was just pretty much just a live, a live recording from a warehouse I used to live in. There's Fucking no mixing or anything done in it. I think we took it to Prowler's place and added some uh, sound effects to it and kind of gave it a general kind of, you know, bit of an EQ and stuff. Yeah. But it is, uh, yeah, that track is what it is it just was like how we kind of played it in the room it's raw but that entire compilation is just fucking like that that i mean that that compilation is fundamental to everything i don't think things would be in the places that they are today or you know like uh, like if man even the groups that have had the success that they've had i think that fucking rock the city compilation was just at the core of everything at that point in time, you know, like it was, I don't know, man, it was just fundamental to me and to everyone that I see and people that might not have been of that era, you could trace the roots of the groups that are making noise now or making names now. Somehow there's some sort of lineage that would go back to that record in some way, shape or form, you know, because it was just, it's a phenomenal compilation that contains so much, like we've spoken about it on here in the past and even just the rollout of it. How many tracks did, before we get to that, like we've spoken about the rollout, like the magazine, the cassette, the tape, the CD. Yeah, the, the, con the concept itself is pretty amazing. Yeah, it was ahead of its time, man. <clears throat> like, you know, I mean, I, I suppose it was of its it was of its era in a way because, but you know, because tape still was a thing at that time. You know, you still obviously went and got cassette tapes and shit like that. But it was really the tail end of cassettes and all that sort of thing. But in, in, including the magazine and, you know, like, I mean, you've even gone on, you know, I don't, man, this shit goes all over the shop. So don't even worry. We'll get back to the enough said <laughs> stuff. But, you know, in recent times, you went and put out, um, you know, field notes where you did a book yeah, and yeah. then soundtracked the book. Like, you know, I sort of see that as a lineage of what, came out of the Nuff Said years with Rock the City in a way almost, you know, like it's... Yeah, I guess, I mean, I grew up in a in an era, I mean, well, probably most people that were on that compilation probably grew up in an era where everything was, you know, all the products were physical and yes. a sort of tangible thing. Like, um, yeah. so doing releases that are uh, something a bit empty or something for me about doing releases that are just digital... Yeah, yeah, Even yeah. though I know it's like probably the smartest way to do it these days, yeah. seeing that music is free and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. um, I mean, I still have that thing of like, uh, because it's that will to want to do, um, something interesting and something mm. tangible mm. that leads onto all those ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about making it more than just the music these days too. I suppose like it's about making, it's about making or creating or crafting a product that people will engage with. Like the music is kind of, whereas music was first and foremost to 
people like us and, you know, those that came through of a specific generation, those that grew up buying music, going to a record store, mm. like the record store was like the video store or some shit. Like it was the most magical yeah, place yeah. on earth when you were fucking eight years old or That's nine right. years old or whatever. Yeah. You know, these days you have to attach a product in order to sell your digital music, you know, in a way. Like, I don't know. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a, I think like, um, I think the, yeah, now it's sort of a reverse, I guess. I think it's like music is free and it's digital. Yes. And yeah. then uh, the physical products uh, aren't really the music; it's merch. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. So yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a different thing altogether. Yeah. Well, how much how much uh, how much of the production were you responsible for on Rock the City? Was it just uh, your joint and the Madlock, or did you do other joints on that? Uh, my joint and the Madlock joint, and then I just I helped out, kind of like, um, you know, I guess. I don't even want to call it mastering. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, just, yeah. We're just like trying to, yeah, just pull pull it together, I yeah. guess, and make it a cohesive thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I know what you mean. <laughs> oh, but it's so lo-fi, man. You know, that's it's what we so say. It's of the era. So it's like I, I think we just, yeah, just um, yeah. You don't, you don't, yeah, you don't want to call it mastering. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I feel you. <laughs> just didn't know what we we're doing most yeah, yeah, of the yeah. time. But, but the some way of that shit's, some of that shit's amazing, especially. The way that the Deadly track was constructed oh, is kind of pretty crazy. Dude, you just took the words out of my mouth. I was about to say, the way the way uh, 32 Lines plays into Slipping Into Darkness, like, uh, mm. uh, man, it's a highlight of that compilation. Like, 32 Lines and then Slipping Into Darkness. Now, there's no lyrics on Slipping Into Darkness or anything like that, but it's just, they're just, they're, there's a perfect blend into those songs. Like, I don't know mm. what, what role you played in maybe the layout of the album. Or, I you think know, that would probably be, uh, the sequencing would have been the sequencing, Prowler. Yeah. Maybe Jace yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Were um, you there for 32 lines and all that sort of shit? No, no. I just, no. everything was kind of like, um, as far, I mean, from my position, everything was kind of like came in, um, you know, everyone doing stuff in isolation or recording with Prowler, but I wasn't there for a lot of that. Oh, okay. What were you there for? Did, were you, <laughs> did you see many of the recordings for that for that record? No, not no. really. No. But I was, I think at the, at the end of the 90s, I was hanging out with Prowler a lot. We were just yes. sort of like hanging out as mates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and the music part, the part of it was there as well. Yeah. So, I think probably after Rock the City is when I was sort of more there to record people. And mm. even if I wasn't producing the song, I'd be there, sort of you know mixing it or doing artwork. Or it was all hands on deck, pretty much. That label it was yeah, kind of like dude. you just didn't do one thing. You, you know. Uh, we're recording people or mixing something or, you know, uh, quotation marks, mastering <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or, you know, even doing the artwork for stuff, you know what I mean? It's kind of yeah. like we didn't really outsource much. No, no, no. It was definitely it was definitely uh, a real insular label, wasn't it? You know, yeah, it's very very independent, very yeah, indie, yeah. very DIY. Yeah, yeah. And people need to hunt down these releases. Like, I mean, if you don't know what we're talking about, you're listening to this and you haven't heard the Rock the City compilation. It's on YouTube in its entirety. I think it's on YouTube in individual songs, even you know, like Prowse's releases, Jace's releases. Man, what what sort of equipment? Like you, you know, you said before that you were going to Prowse because he had that equipment. Did he have an early studio set up or what? Well, I think um, one of the reasons um, why we're hanging it out a lot is we both transitioned onto computers. Um, yeah. So around 2000, maybe even a bit before that, but um, yeah, we'd we'd both sort of trans. So he'd he'd gotten rid of a lot of his setup to Trem, I think brought yes uh, yep, a bunch yep. of his stuff. Yep. And then we both transitioned onto 
computers and we started building our setups around the computer rather than a sampler or whatever. Yeah, yeah. How was that? Um, tra- so we, how was that for a transition? Was that like did did you sort of you know were you hesitant to go uh, towards the computer? No, no. I just uh-huh. I was all about it because it meant I could you know multi-track properly and yeah. um, just just use early versions of um, plugins and mm. um, having someone you know because we were sort of doing it together meant we could trade plugins and ways of doing stuff and if I worked out you know how one piece of software worked we'd both work it out mm, mm, mm. so it was that kind of like um trade of uh ideas and technique and stuff oh, that's amazing <laughs> sorry dude I was just fucking drinking <laughs> <laughs> but um what so had you heard money walks at that stage yeah so I mean when we were uh this is like a the band was called um, Disasterware. This is pre-Madlock. Okay. So <clears throat> we were doing like a residency at a small club in the city and I remember him bringing that record in one day actually, yeah. um, Money yeah. Walks. Yeah. So I was like, holy shit, and you fucking kind of pressed up a record. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I do remember I wasn't sort of um, at all sort of integrated into Nuff Set at that point. We were just sort of friends and we were – obviously doing live music and stuff together. But mm. it wasn't really till Rock to City that I started playing more of a role in the label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I just ask about Money Walks, you know, that's Prowse's uh, first release. I mean, it's one of the quintessential. It's all – for, for many of us, it's – arguably the blueprint for what came after it, you know, like it's, it's, mm. you know, one of the, the, you know, sort of, you know, you don't fucking contemporary hip hop music out of Australia. That's what we call it. Fuck Oz hip hop. Contemporary, yeah. as, contemporary hip hop from Australia. Like I that was the I blueprint think about for that it. release without thinking of, on the flip side of the cover, it's got a photo of him, and it's from his driver's license. Yeah, 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 for real. Which is fucking amazing to me, <laughs> dude. That, it's that, yeah, that man. Just also, almost sums up kind of like the sort of DIY yes. sort of indie approach to everything that, yeah. you know, okay, I need a photo. I'll use the photo off my drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it looks so cut and paste too, man. Like it all just looks, yeah. you know, just sort of cut and pasted together real sort of yeah, you know, yeah. in that primitive way, like, you know, like almost like it was fucking photocopied at a library and well, shit. Well, I, I donated a bunch of stuff to that, um, to the Australian Music Archive. Ah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, some of the stuff I donated was like back in the 90s, like we would just go down to the photocopy center and get them to swap out colors in the machines and stuff and do, you know, multicolor yeah, photocopy you. flyers and shit. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I had a, had a bunch of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, it just makes me think that's, yeah, just sort of pre everyone having like Photoshop or whatever to make you slick flyer. It was just sort of more kind of like doing drawing stuff by hand and oh, lettering by hand and photocopying stuff. And yeah, absolutely, man. It was that, that kind fucking, of shit. that whole DIY, that punk rock shit, you know, that, that. Yeah. I mean, that's why I guess even in the, from the early eighties, punk rock and um, hip hop have a lot in common in certainly. that way. Yeah, it's 100%. like making something out of nothing sort of idea. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. So you'd like, for, you know, sort of moving on from that, I mean, you uh, you played a role in Lone Wolf, which was Prowse's next record. Uh, but prior to that, what came first? Was it uh, was it Sean Love's record or Lone Wolf, the Blackout of 77 or, or what uh, else? No, I, we did- I mean, you know, fuck, dude, like, <laughs> it's a fucking broad roundabout question. What sort of, what were you contributing to, what, was, what were your contributions to Nuff Said following Rock the City and stuff because you seem to play a fundamental role. Your your first solo releases as Platonic Lab yeah. are enough well, that happened releases. simultaneously. So um, I was working on my first solo record and um, Theo was working on Lone Wolf. So we were kind of like 
that I guess that plays into that thing of what I was saying about us both learning as yeah. as we went. So I was working on my record, he was working on his. I did I think I did a couple of beats on Lone Wolf. I helped out a bit with the artwork. Yeah. Helped out a bit with the mixing and yeah. uh, mastering and stuff. And at the same time I was working on it. so both those records um came out at the same time, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then following after that Fuck, I can't remember the order of things, but yeah. it's just like pretty much, pretty much every release up until I think I quit. Enough said in two thousand and five, so it would have been a good four or five years there. And we were doing a lot of shit, oh, like um, yeah, uh, Sean Love and Toomey, yes, and yeah. all of um, Prowls's solo stuff. And then I did another solo release. Uh, yeah, you did a couple through there, hey? Yeah, there's yeah. a couple there. Um. Yeah, I just I can't just trying to think of what I, we actually had a lot of um, unreleased things as well, which kind of kills me. We, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We were putting together like an international compilation um, with the attorney and a bunch of people from the UK, and uh, we had a, a full length Toomey album that got Fuck recorded man. in South Africa Shit. that never came out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Is that what made sort of pro- like Lone Wolf? sort of seemed almost international in a way, you know, like there was, you know, there was a handful of um, overseas guests on there. There was Esoteric and from 7 Yeah, well, I think that that's sort of more, um, that was more Prowler just bringing people up and getting in contact with people. But the thing I loved about Nuff Set is it was um, very kind of international uh, centric in a way. Like we yeah, were so always yeah. looking for, for underground artists uh, yeah. around the world to work with and we were sending, we were like mailing um, CDs of beats out to you know everywhere to yeah. not not to anyone but just we'd make contact with people and then send out stuff and we would do um, trades and stuff and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. barter beats for raps and all kinds of shit but um is yeah that- so all that stuff is like that's like the one of the things I definitely um, hold in a high regard from that era that we were like really reaching out and trying to do international collaborations and stuff it wasn't so kind of Australian That's insular right. centric, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Is that where the sort of that Sean Love connection came from? Because for me, the Blackout of 77 is dope, dude. Like that shit was amazing. Yeah, so we did that the 12-inch um, first. first. Um, was, I was pretty chuffed with what we did with the artwork on that 12, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, had a, just had that game and watch and just totally doctored it into that cover. And, yep. Um, yeah, so I think we did that first. And then did the did his full length because I think he pro, for memory probably had a bunch of that already recorded because he was working with um, was it Master of Records? Okay, yeah, can't remember. But yeah, me and Prowler did uh, a bunch of beats on it, and then the rest he had already. Oh, it's dope, dude. Like, yeah, man. Like, <clears throat> was that done? Was that done locally? Was that recorded locally, or was it just some sort of? Uh, fucking- no, he's in. He was in. New Jersey, and we yeah. were here. We just, it was kind of like, um, this is the days that the internet was pretty fucking slow. It was like dial up, I guess, yeah, yeah, for yeah, memory. Yeah. I could be wrong, but um, I just remember most of it was like mailing uh, CDs and data CDs backwards and forwards. Yeah, I've still so got a we, copy we would on get wax. sessions. 
I still yeah, have a yeah. copy on wax. I remember I went down into Rocking Horse <coughs> Records or up, I think it might have been upstairs at that stage. No, 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 it was downstairs. And um, I just, sorry, was, that was just me trying to work out where Rocking Horse was. It's had several different locations. But uh, I remember going into Rocking Horse and just going like, I think it was Hams and they're like, man, you just got to, you got to, you got to take this. And yeah, Summer of 77, uh, Blackout of 77, sorry, is still, is one of those records that I'm glad I own still. You know, like it's like, yeah, fuck yeah. man, I'm glad I copped that at that point in time. You know, like it's a dope record, dude. Yeah, it's it's definitely got um all that stuff's got a pretty soft spot for me. Yeah, yeah. That era. Yeah. What do you when you look back on, you know, some of those recordings at that time, are you still fond of them or are you one of those dudes that sort of looks back and goes, "Ah, oh, fuck, I could have done that different," you know, like Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I just yeah, it's, but it is what it is. I think, you know, as you age, you kind of um be a bit easier on yourself and you realize that you were probably doing the best that mm. you could at the time. Mm. It's just, I, I don't really pull any of that music out and listen to it really, but yeah, occasionally, yeah. like every now and then I hear something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. You know? Well, you know, you get to an age too where nostalgia creeps in and you go, shit. It's nostalgia, that, yeah. You know, yeah, much. was was that 20 years ago? Like, you know, like you can fucking yeah, sit there and yeah, go yeah. at that point, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, following, like, you know, I mean, with Nuff Said, you released um, – fuck, what did you release on Nuff Said? Give Me Sabotage Shell. That was your first – that was your first yeah, release the first on one, said? yeah. Yeah. Um, was that so just did, a collection think, of your production at the time? Yeah, it was like a – kind of pretty curated, I guess. Uh, I sort of had a bunch of different music and um, I was – actually, it just started um, the year before. I'd started at RMIT, mm. uh, sort of went – to university and was doing media arts. I had access to a really good studio there and um, all kinds of synths and stuff that they had. Yeah. Um, so most of the vocal recording I was doing on Nuff Said I probably was doing because we had 24-hour access um, to those studios. Those so I was studios. probably going in there late at night at yeah. RMIT and recording um, a lot of the Nuff Said stuff, some of the compilations. I remember recording Eternia there. and. Right. Bunch of people, yeah, uh, Ruciel and yeah, um, Solomon Klepto, I think, came through. Oh, I mean, true. just so many people. I yeah. recorded so many people at RMIT. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was the spot. Um, but, yeah, it's like a uh, Give Me Sabotage show. I think it was – I had more songs than that, but I think uh, another consideration because we were thinking more of wax mm. in those days. So to make it sound as, you know, for a single vinyl, yeah. I think we just decided that eight tracks would be the – you know, the cap there as yeah. far as timing on each side and stuff. Um, so do, that's why that is how it is. Yeah. How do you go into when you're, you know, sort of, you know, as, you know, as a producer, as someone, you know, who samples, you know, or you, well, fuck, as a drummer, as a producer, as someone who samples live instruments and all that sort of thing and stays in the crate, stays digging and stuff, how do you, you know, in a way, curate that listen. Like, you know, were you thinking about that in 2001 when you put out, you know, your first sort of solo record? Are you going into that going, fuck, I want to, you know, like I might not have an MC on everything or, you know, like it's, are you sort of trying to uh, cu curate a sound throughout a record or is it just like boom, boom, boom? I think like, it was boom, more boom, just boom, like boom. I just had carried that interest with the, you know, DJ crushes and those yes. kind of guys from the 90s. So yeah. I, that just proved to me that you, you didn't really need to have vocals. Mm. Um, the producer could be the artist. So yeah, that definitely. was sort of more that idea. Yeah. But also kind of like I think I was always sort of recording, um, you know, real instruments and samples simultaneously and I'd been doing that forever pretty much. I'd yeah. sort of probably do more the played 
real instruments and not that much sampling anymore. But oh, okay. it's Word. definitely always been a part of my work. Like yeah. it's not like I was just a sampling MPC artist and then decided to start recording instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, it was just that thing of kind of like, I don't know, I just um, I th- yeah, I think it makes things a bit harder to um, an instrumental having to, you know, um, entertain the listener for a full three and a half minutes or something. Yeah, you got to yeah, put yeah. a little bit more thought into arrangements and stuff. Whereas I think, like, if you're just making beats, sometimes the raps can just carry it. Um, yeah, definitely, man. Well, you know, your people, you know, sort of people seem to tune in for the MC and the production is sometimes secondary. But I think the mm. production is, for me personally, the production's. Well, it's essentially first and foremost, you know, like you, yeah, if you don't have that right production, important. if you don't have someone with that ear, man, the, you're not carrying, mm. fuck, fuck the MC, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, like, it, yeah, I don't know, it's probably all kinds of ways of doing shit. It's also like that thing of having, these days you can have the, the real lo-fi production, it doesn't even need to have banging drums on it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. If you've got like a dope MC over it, yeah, then that's the focus, I suppose. There's yeah, all yeah. kinds of ways to skin a cat. I guess. Rock, rock Marciano syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, dude, it's, it's a, he single-handedly <laughs> introduced this fucking lo-fi. No, not single-handedly introduced it, but, you know, Marsberg mm. was Marsberg was a I masterpiece. Love, I mean, Car as well is a yes. great example of that yes. sort of shit. But yep. it's so um, – uh, uh, what's the word? I don't know. It's just really – uh, keeps you pinned, you know what I mean? Yeah, dude, like it just yeah, his fucking his... heroin music. Like you know, you just yeah, like dude, heroin. yeah, bro. It's like like car <laughs> for me. I've had this debate with dudes. Like I love Rock Marcy, and I was on Rock Marcy early with the UN and all that sort of shit. Like I fuck with that shit super early, but then mm. like the a lot of the stuff that's sort of come in his wake, and there is some dope shit that's come in his wake, like Hus Kingpin, um, Rosewood. There's a ton of dope shit that's come off the back of like you know that sort of Marsberg era. But man, car people will fucking hate me for saying this but to me it's just fucking smack music man like it's, it's just really funny man like, you, you ever sit, sat in a car at night and had car on the, in the in the car no you feel like you feel like you're gonna go do some fucking crimes or something yeah, it's just yeah, that yeah. weird it's just the weirdest darkest music man it is. it's not it's not club music. No, it's, it's the, further, the furthest thing from it. You furthest know? thing from it. Yeah, hundred percent. And I can appre- <laughs> I, and I can appreciate it. Like I'm the first record I got and all that sort of thing. But it doesn't go on often, man. Like you know, and I say yeah. that in juxtaposition to Marsberg, which will go on like fuck, man. I probably haven't put it on for a few weeks, but it'll go on maybe once a month, once every two months. You know, it still yeah. comes out. You know, like I think I the s- other thing I feel about it is it's it's very insular music. It's kind of yeah almost sort of headphones walking around music yes yeah, like you up, wouldn't dude. you're not going to put it on at a at a party no fuck no no i no, mean no. i think like some of that music is kind of like if you if you put it on in a room full of people it kind of makes you feel a bit weird yeah 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 dude, yeah, 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 yeah exactly man <laughs> cunts on the nod and shit but <laughs> but you know lone wolf and all that sort of shit like your contributions man like were you around for the recording of lone wolf uh, yeah, I think it? so. I think like some of that was done at um, Theo's place in Richmond. He had okay. an, uh, an apartment in Richmond and had a we sort of had a makeshift vocal booth and stuff in it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because Lone Wolf is yeah. just an amazing record, man. That people should probably track down because it's I don't know. To me, it doesn't probably rate the mensch. You know, it does, it, it might mm. not rate as highly as what. Uh, look, you know, some a lot of, of a lot of, of records are being buried by time. Mm. It's the thing of like. Um, I don't know. It's just like you know, people rewrite history or just have have their version of 
you know, what went on in their lives or whatever. And then yeah. it's like, you know, Prowl is not the most uh, vocal no, 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 certainly not. Uh, person in, in yeah, the world. Not. So he's not really going to be there um, defending his stake. Yeah, know? no, no, no. And that's why I fucking, that's why we need to put it out there. That's why we need to talk about that music because it just, it has its place and more ears need to be made aware of it in my, in my opinion, you know, like Lone Wolf contains, I think the single greatest contemporary hip hop song out of Australia in Renown like you know Renown with oh, Pants, yeah. him and Trem like to me that is yeah, just yeah yeah such a crazy track oh it's um, it's insanely fucking good man like it is just it is too good you know and I think did you remix that or was it Jace the, no who remixed that someone uh, did a remix Renown uh, I can't remember I know the record you're talking about yeah, um, yeah it was yeah. the one that had um uh, Muff and stuff on it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It came out on a um, remix record. I wasn't sure whether it was yours. I remixed or... some of that stuff. I can't remember what okay. it was. I think that was actually when me and uh, Dan hooked up because um, I did that remix without even meeting him. Yeah, because well, I think Muff. I was just going through because you know just with the you know Prowl was like, oh, we're gonna remix some stuff. What do you want to do? I was like, oh, I'll have a go at these. You know, whatever I picked. Yeah, yeah. And ended up doing the remix and then met him after I'd done it. Yeah, um, yeah, and so this yeah, I, I remember like that that Lone Wolf song. I just remembered just kind of like just some weird shit in it because I, I remember the the song Lone Wolf that I produced. Yeah, yeah. It's got like a dictaphone recording of uh, rain, which was just outside my no window shit. at the warehouse I was living in. So if you listen to that, the percussion track in the background is actually just a loop of like rain. Fuck, no <laughs> shit. Pretty, Pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> you're probably the first. Like you probably aren't the first dude to do that. But you know, everyone thought Primo did that. With, I just um, like coming from that. You know, just a, yeah. I mean, just I uh, think even at the time too, because uh, I think field recordings at university was pretty pushed. Like you know, go out and get your own sounds, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. probably just on that tip. Yeah, dude. No, there's music everywhere. So you know, you just sort of mentioned. You just you just mentioned Muff. Like, is that sort of the initial introductions to Muff, was he still Pureheads at that point in time? Or Yeah, I think he was. He, yeah. I think he was just about to do uh, more than music. Yes. So yeah. um, so from that remix ended up, um, I think I produced six songs or something on that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, and we just sort of got along really well. Yeah. So um, I think, so after more than music, he was probably pretty ready to do another record yeah, yeah i can't yeah. remember whose idea it was but it was, he basically wanted me to do because at the time i was touring with um pegs oh, fuck, okay. um, so so i was working on axe i did all, pretty much all of access apart from the two tracks that Suf did well fucking but sort of backtracking prior to that you even yeah. worked on pegs's because i've actually got here i wanted to oh yeah, yeah. I, did his, I did something on his first 12 and then capricorn and cat as well did, I did, yeah, a bunch of stuff, a whole shitload of stuff on Capricorn Cat. So you were working, like, so you, you were, uh, were you, uh, was it just like a gentleman's agreement? Was this a handshake or whatever? Were you signed to Nuff said or was it just? Uh, just a gentleman's agreement. But, yeah. I mean, I was working with a lot of OB stuff and Nuff said stuff simultaneously. Yes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't really that exclusive, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, You're out just there. Just because I, I could just do, I guess because I could just do a lot of shit. So, yeah. Ended yeah. up just um, just that's the thing, man. If you if you prolific enough and you're, you're pumping shit out, people just want that stuff. So. Well, yeah, people will gravitate. If you can supply it, yeah, yeah, certainly people will gravitate towards you, man. Like you know, there's only a handful of people out there doing what it is you do. People will gravitate towards you to get it done. You know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. You know, it is. So what I it think is. I think it was after I think the Axis. Uh, I'm trying to think. 
So I started touring with Pegs from Capricorn Cat. That's right, okay. the Capricorn Cat tour. So it was me, Select, and Pegs. Yeah, yep. and I'd play drums live for him. Yeah, um, that was that. And like I was that. also doing heaps of beats and stuff as well. That so, was that obesity era, wasn't it? You know, like uh, was... probably a bit before that. I reckon. Oh, true. Word. Okay. Yeah, because we yep. did. He was just doing his own um, headline shows around. We just. You know, this is pretty early days of touring. Mm, mm. Uh, enough, uh, sorry, on obese. And I think when it came time for Axis, I'd done the majority of that, and I was still playing live with him because that was 2004. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 2004, and that's when we did the um, – me and Pegs and selected the calling tour for the Hoods ah, at that time, which was pretty crazy. So yeah. I got to see that kind of blow up um, firsthand, which was – fucking nuts yeah man well when did you start when did the you know sort of when did you kind of migrate to obese like was that just was it was it just a natural sort of thing for you just to go over there because uh, that's where the work was you know that was a bit it was a bit um what's the word <laughs> it was it was a bit of a bit of bad blood there actually because I, I wanted to do um another solo record mm. and um pegs because i hadn't had any kind of um I just hadn't had any budgets to work with. I hadn't had any advertising or and, I, and Pegs made me an offer to do a solo record on Obese. And because yeah. I was already, I was touring with him, I was making his records, I was doing so much for other people on the label as well. Yeah. It just made total sense to me to to just actually do it there. Yeah. yeah. And um you know, and I, I remember having this conversation with Prowler that like, you know, t the Nuff said label was never going to be anything more than a hobby mm. or something something to that effect yeah um, yeah and i just thought well fuck you know i've got to i've got to sort of make something of this you know what i mean dude this you're is, aspirational this is, my, this, this is my plan a, fucking a. yeah you're aspirational <laughs> you know, man you gotta make it happen b. you gotta go where it's yeah, happening so i think yeah. that's what happened there but i don't think um uh, Prowler at the time wasn't happy. Nah, I mean, you that know, I, that I'd gone to obese and done my solo record there. But fuck, you know, in in hindsight, retrospect, it it was the best thing I ever did. Yes, it, it set me on a set me up for a bunch of other stuff. Well, you were releasing. I mean, you know, you had um <laughs> fucking um what's it called? Fucking Gimme Sabotage Shell in two thousand and one, and then you had Collision of Days in two thousand and four. Both on Nuff said, but in that in that period, you were producing obese. You know, you were producing for Muff. You were producing for Pegs. You did Bias just after that. You know, you were doing. Yeah, I was doing a lot of um, sort of uh, quotation marks mastering and yep. um, mixing for people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all kinds of technical shit. Yeah, so um, it's it seems like from, from and beats beats on other people's records too. It's like you know, I, I, there's always, always those records where I've contributed a lot to, but then at the same time, there's you know that I feel like they're my records as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then there's other records where I just like I was just slinging a beat here or there. Or, yeah. You know. yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of shit, like, man. Um, in those in that sort of five year period, so much music, man. Oh, dude. I don't know how I did it. it was going gangbusters were you working or were you just fucking making Fuck music no <laughs> no. <laughs> no no i was just i was just going to uni and living yeah. like a bum yeah 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 yeah. in a in a fucking in a warehouse apartment in melbourne uh at that time i just had my own uh my own flat i was gonna say because so you, just you set, can't set afford a warehouse apartment just, in melbourne anymore yeah, can you going, right? i was just going all hours of the night man just living on my own i think that was probably part of why I could be so prolific because it just did, it wasn't annoying anybody and just um, keeping weird hours and going to uni and 
as everything in my life was just music based. I think I even, um, yeah, 2003, even like, um, me and Prowler and Rusiel had an offer from, um, Sony to go over to Singapore to do some shows, which was pretty crazy. Jesus, did you do it? Yeah. That was off off the back of, um, give me sabotage shell. Oh, word. How was that? How was reception over there? It was fucking, it was pretty weird. I mean, no one knew who the fuck we were, but, um, the parties we did were pretty crazy. We did, uh, one show we did was in this the main room at Zook, which is this huge uh, nightclub in Singapore. Mm. And Sony, it, it was called The Basement. It was like for some um, digital uh, angle of the, you know, the label. They were pushing something. can't really remember. But um, yeah. so the, the club night was called Basement. And um, they just had loads of people. They'd set this club up, this basement club, kind of like it was someone's basement of their house. So mm. they had like old, you know, washing machines and old organs and stuff in there. But like you'd lift up the lid of the of the washing machine, and there'd be like ice and like all these drinks and beers and stuff in there. And you just <laughs> grab. It was just it was crazy. It was like a lot of money being thrown around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent three days uh-huh. in Singapore a year or two ago, and it's a crazy city. It's just like futuristic, man. Like it was. It is. Yeah, there's a lot of money there. A lot yeah. of a lot of rich rich people and a lot of poor people. I guess it's kind of got that. <clears throat> the workers that come in and work there aren't that rich, but it's a lot of money there and a lot of technology, yeah. a lot of rules. Um, yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, definitely. It's pretty, pretty staunch place. Yeah, hundred you know? percent. So the so the introduction into obese does that come through Pegs or Muff initially? Um, through Pegs because yeah. I've worked with him definitely before. I worked with Muff. Yeah, well, you so. did the first. You did the first EP, didn't you? The um, Pegasus EP. That first one with every uh, show and all yeah, that sort of yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did a, I did a remix on it, and I did. I might have done some technical stuff. I can't remember. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It seems like at that time I was doing a lot of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah I definitely met him through his first twelve inch. Yeah, I was trying to dig uh, it out because I thought you had something to do with it. I didn't know. I know Lays had a beat on it, and yeah, who produced every show and all that sort of shit. I can't remember. Uh, fuck, I can't remember. Yeah, I wasn't too sure what your contribution was to it, but I just knew you. Yeah, had I think I did Rogue the Rogue remix. Was ah, okay, my, word. Yeah, 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 and then on to Capricorn Cat, and then obviously the Muffin Platonic thing, you know, sort of. Oh uh, yeah, so I mean, it was. I think it went Axis, my solo that year, and then me and Muff started working on a record. Okay. And I think yeah, so. Getting back to the other story, I think it was kind of like, well, I just want you to do all the beats, and then I want you to come play it live with me. I was like, well, fuck, that sounds like. Um, we're just in a band. Yeah. Seems like we should just do it together then. Yeah. If I'm going to put all that fucking energy into your record and play it live, <laughs> yeah, why, don't, dude. why don't we just have equal billing? Exactly, exactly. So that's how that kind of whole thing took off. And, and fucking amazingly enough, um, we just sort of took – like the Jays picked it up straight away and we just kind of took off from there. But it mm. was this great kind of like position where we had – because we were sort of both kind of underground cats and sort of pretty entrenched there mm. and we were getting kind of like courted by Triple J and having all these things afforded to us. So we had this great balance between kind of respect of the underground but also kind of getting – doing one-night stands and fucking airplay yeah. and 
yeah. you know, feature albums and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that fucking, I mean, that period there, man, where uh, that that period of obese dominance, you know, like it was, mm. you, you know, I mean, the, the amount of acts that came through that label that went on to bigger, like, you, I mean, everyone was there at a point in time, man. And you seem to be at the helm of a lot of those releases there, a lot of the big tracks that were getting played on the radio, you know, like they, you were the man behind a lot of that shit. We, is it just the same as the sort of enough said years? Are you just pumping out the beats or are you catering specifically for those MCs, working specifically um, with Muff, working specifically with Pegs, you know, like? Yeah, I think my, my history, I think, is more like apart from just, you know, a beat here or there on someone's record or doing some technical stuff, I just like to find people that I get along with and, and work with them because I do mm. come from like my early days, I do come from like a band mentality. Yeah, it's collaborative, isn't so it? I it's... like being in a I like being in a crew rather than Yeah. I just I just I've always disliked that kind of um supermarket shelf way of making records where you just mm. get a bit you buy something from here and you buy something from there and yeah, you fucking yeah. mix it all together and it's a casserole of nonsense. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're saying, yeah, <laughs> yeah, quote bones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah, it's just like not I mean I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm maybe offending someone, but like, and I don't need to be offensive, but it's just not for me. I guess mm. I, I should say from, from my point of view, it's something I never really enjoyed doing. Yeah, yeah, Always yeah. just liked working with people you can get in the same room with and um, work on ideas and really forge something rather than just churn out beats and not knowing where the fuck they're going. Well, so I was always do. making stuff. I mean, it feels like <clears throat> maybe not all the time, but. I was definitely making music for a specific person or a specific release. Mm. So I think that's maybe contributes to why some of those releases do sound quite kind of, um, they hold together in that way. Yeah, they have yeah. a sound to them or yeah. it's because it was like a focused effort. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Like your production was kind of what brought – you know, the Australian hip hop scene to the fore in a way, like, well, you know, for Triple J in many regards. I mean, there was, there was obviously joints before you. I there was like, loads of us doing it. I mean, th yeah. I think that was around that the time when 2004 was definitely the year. It I might broke. have even been like slightly earlier, but that when the hood started taking off, then yeah. I think a lot of us, it just kicked open the doors for a lot of us to do stuff, but it seemed to all happen simultaneously. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for a lot bro. of us. So, yeah, I was just, I just happened to be there and happened. It was just that thing as well, like getting back to obese and that they were a real powerhouse. I think that was also to do with um, Pegs ha definitely had a, a vision and he definitely put his money where his mouth was and invested in those releases. And um, I think the people that were just there ready to meet the challenge and, and had the skills to, to deal with it were the ones that kind of, you know, took off. Yes. So it's, a, it's just that synergy between someone really wanting to make a first-class product and then having people around that wanted to meet that challenge as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is, man. That's what makes the label, <laughs> isn't it? Having the staff there that want to fucking make it. But it was a fuck. It was a behemoth, man. Like you know, it sort of birth. Well, it didn't birth the hoods. The hoods existed prior and had had That's success right. prior. But mm. you know, like a lot of success came off the back of that initial. Yeah, is that thing. I mean, you know, that I think second a lot wave of, these of obese on that records. Roster, a lot of the people on that roster definitely all had stuff prior and we're all building yeah. up for probably a long time yeah um, yeah before that label sort of really took off but it was that, that thing i guess it, it was the perfect storm you know like we yeah. all had the experience we'd all done shit um it wasn't our first rodeo you know so yeah that's when right. 
when the radio did start playing stuff, we were able to kind of like, um, you know, rise to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because that's how I sort of view it. Like the, <clears throat> to me, it was like there was a first wave of obese and they were all monumental releases. There was Solid by Reason. There was The Authentic by Brad. There was, fuck, I can't even remember them all offhand. Yeah, so it's, a, it's a lot of records. Man. Yeah, it was a lot of records. But then them out. It seemed like every month there was like another release. Dude, yeah. exactly. But then 04, 05, you got those big records. You got the, you got the Hoods. You got Pegs, you got Muffin Platonic, you got fucking Hijack and Torture. I think Bliss and Esso were there for a minute. Yeah, Man, yeah. Draft. The, the first one or two records. Yeah, they, Draft. They moved on the pretty fun quick, balls. actually. Yeah, like man, the, the shit was like a wave, man, and everything was mm. album of the week on Triple J. Everything was boom, and every like all those acts seemed to be getting the festival slots and all that sort of shit. Like, man, to be there on that on the crest of that wave, making that music, what was it like, dude? Like, I know we sort of br we broached it, but was were you seeing success? Were you seeing sort of you know? Yeah, yeah, I think um, yeah, sort of started to actually see some money from stuff, yeah. and yeah. definitely you know from touring and. It was like it's – yeah, it was a very quick kind of like um, just everything sort of – the universe clicked and it all sort of came together. So we were simultaneously getting on bills of festivals and being able to tour and mm. getting radio play. And I guess radio play was probably the pivotal thing because to be able to do like shows in um, in rural – like yeah. rural tours and little yeah. towns and stuff. Yeah. The radio was the key thing there because um, – you know, still the internet uh, wasn't quite there well, it yet. Today. No, you know, it not. was like the you know had your forums and <clears throat> the way of getting information about shows and releases out, but it wasn't kind of like now. I think you could probably be an artist without getting radio play on Triple J and still will be able to, you know, just because the internet has that reach. Yeah, definitely. It doesn't we, really matter so much. That's right. There, There's the channels there to become. And, you know, we've seen that, you know, you've, you've seen that with, you know, the, you know, I suppose the next wave of artists like the Curses, the Chillinists, the whoever's. I mean, they're, they're, yeah, Curse is a good example. Exactly, you know, man. He just, they're people, he doesn't have airplay. That's it. They're people that never got Triple J play. They're people that never got that nod from any form of mainstream radio, but they've gone on to like ARIA nominations. They've gone on to mm. Massive, phenomenal success, like huge success, like fucking sponsorship deals, blah, blah, blah. But they never mm. got that nod. But during the mid-2000s, man, the dudes that were getting that nod, getting that Triple J nod, that was a fucking, you know, that was a huge leg up, you know? Like yeah, yeah. like you said, the one-night stands and all that sort of shit, like, you know, like all that kind of thing, man. It was, a, it was an avenue to just greater things. If you used it for that, then you used it for that, you know, because a lot of acts mm. sort of didn't go on to do much more than what they did at no. that point in time. But I think, I think it was like, for me, it was kind of like, um, because I'd seen, I'd lived through trying to do shows and uh, shit in the 90s and seeing how rock bands were afforded those kind of opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. just felt to me like, well, fuck, finally, you know, we've actually, we're actually getting this stuff happening now. Yeah. It's like, you know, thank God. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. And Pegs definitely did have some foresight there in that regard because, well, obviously, you know, like he took it, you know, he took Obese and made it the powerhouse that it was. Yeah. Um, I can't think of another label in that period that was as strong as that label or had the vision. That's right. That that label had. I mean, obviously there's other labels around that time, but it's just yeah, not. Yeah, definitely. 
definitely. And there's the labels, same, same potency as that label. Yeah, and there's labels that have kind of outlasted it in that in that regard. Oh yeah, like, sure, man. You know, you uh, had the broken tooths. You know, like you had like they might yeah, not have had yeah, that, yeah. that that success. You had the nuff sets. You had the broken tooths. You had the uncuts. You had carcinogenics, crook neck. You know, you had labels that existed at that point in time. But see, in saying that, in saying that you had those labels and those labels are still active and still putting out music, obese for you know what seven to ten years distributed a lot of the music from some of those so yeah that's Jake's right i mean that tooth. was the key to that business in a lot of ways because that's they right. had their own just they were just a one-stop shop yeah yeah yeah. So, absolutely. They, so instead of like offloading distribution to something like um what am i gonna say uh anyway to a distributor mm, mm. That, that were just all in-house and they do all their own order. yeah so a lot a lot of those smaller labels used obese as a distribution yep. uh, company just to, just on its own yeah absolutely so you're wrong <laughs> like, you know through those years other than the touring and the producing like dude putting out hunger pains and things like that you know like those records you mentioned axis um so they I mean they they are in hindsight monumental records man like what are your how do you, how does that period sit with you today um i don't know <laughs> i don't know it's just kind of like just seems like a really productive um you know it's just nostalgia it's kind of like yeah. uh, i think like uh, especially access access to me is kind of like there's stuff on that record that's pretty it sounds pretty um Experimental is not really the word, but it's, I think for the record that it isn't as as popular as it was, yeah. I think we're able to get away with a lot of weird shit on there. You know which what? Is cool, which is yeah. You know what? I was playing Axis on Friday night, man, and I pretty much bumped it start to finish. Like Axis contains one of my fucking like honestly, I I fucking hate that back then song. I just got to be perfectly honest. Like I like <laughs> I enjoy the sentiment behind it, but that mm. chick's fucking vocal, that hook is like nails down a blackboard to me, man. Like I just I can't fuck with it, eh? And I used to hate it when it was on the radio radio back then but axis as a whole is a fucking amazing record man like you've just got dope 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 joints on there for me that one though that back again joint like i was just like oh for fuck's sake even the other night when i heard it i <laughs> was like funny though, skip that's the one that probably got the that was the radio it was huge it was huge song, man yeah. mm. but he had man like fucking chechen did, did the job yeah dude chechen did you produce the entire album did you do chechen gorilla and i did um, i didn't do back then and i didn't do oh, oh so you didn't song? do back then no. Oh, I thought that was yours, bro. <laughs> no, no. Oh, that's, word. That's, that's all Suffer good. I did that one and Suffer <laughs> did. Um, fuck, I can't remember what the other song was. Back then, um, dude, I, fuck, I fucking hated that song. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I did the rest of the record pretty much. But, that yeah. man, it's a dope record. I mean, I copped it on wax at the time. I being in Rocco. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm grabbing this. And they're like, really? And they're like, why are you, like, you know, looking at me like, why am I grabbing that record? I'm like, because it's a dope fucking album. I just don't like the single. You know, like it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had in funny? Like, I mean, I feel like that's, that's an interesting kind of thing as far as like the way music comes out now because it's all like single songs and it's all playlisted and stuff with your Spotify and all that kind of shit. Yeah. It's like. I wonder if like people really give the album format uh, a chance in that way because like oh, often like, I, yeah. I just remember like yeah I just remember back in the day like the album songs were always my favorite shit and yes. if if a single did get you into to be interested about a record they were usually the tracks that would you would wear thin on real quick very quick man very and quick. um it, yeah. the tracks that maybe you even didn't like at first would become the stayers you know yeah yeah yeah. well that i mean that sort of ties into what i what i wanted to talk to you about with hunger pains and you know what you did with muffin platonic 
creating and crafting albums beyond the singles. So you guys had had like, you know, some fucking, you know, you had some moderate success with um, Heaps Good and shit like that. And I fuck with that track, man. I played it again recently. I hadn't heard it in a minute. And I was like, man, Heaps Good still bangs. And I've heard you say in the past that you hate that. But that's I a- don't hate it. It's just kind of like, I mean, as far as all the uh, music, it's probably the simplest beat. I've ever made. <laughs> but sometimes that's all you need. Less is so much that's more. That's true. I mean, it did the you job. Know? It's got the, it's the thing is did the vibe. We actually had a different beat on that song and then I swapped it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So it's just kind of like, it, it was almost like it wasn't really a piss take so much, but it was more like um, us. The, yeah. It's, it's us kind of almost not being ourselves. It's like, let's just be as fucking like braggadocious as we can. But dude, I, that's not, that's not us, but like, yeah, exactly. For a joke. But coming we'll off, just make, we'll make a skills track. You know? Yeah, exactly, man. Because coming off what Muff had done prior, like you go back to even <laughs> like, uh, Muff had a solo record. I can't remember what the fuck it was called. It was pre. Probably more, more the music or who I am. One of those. Uh, well, what was the what was the first one I bet he? I thought he had one just around the pure heads time. There was a solo. Yeah, I think it had Bigfoot on it and uh, shit. Who I am, I think. Is that what it was called? I can't remember. Yeah. I used to have it on CD, but it was real sort of. It was like lo-fi. It was very introspective and whatever. Mm. And then he comes through with you. In this fucking banger. Like, man, this shit that just got every motherfucker's head nodding. I mean, I'm working in a factory at that point in time, man, and I'd be turning that shit up. I'm like, man, my head is nodding like a motherfucker. And I'd be in there like, man, I saw this kind of Ricks. I've met this dude. I know, don't know him, but, you know, I've sort of know yeah. of him and had met him and he'd given me his albums in the past, you know, like that sort of shit. I was like, man, like, and what you did with Hunger Pains, Hunger Pains just had joint after joint. Like, it, you, cre you crafted a product that you had to listen to in its entirety. You might gravitate mm. towards a single, but it was an album, man. It was like a gangster or, you know, I think, I think it's like that, that thing of like, um, it was that probably good juxtaposition between his uh, lyrics and trying to make something a little bit like, you know, it's that blunt, blunt sword, uh, sharp sword thing yeah. where like you just can't, you can't have a fucking sad motherfucker on something and then have a really super sad beat. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like a double. It's just like yeah, yeah, double negative or something, you know. Yeah. So it's just that thing of like, yeah, you can you can have introspective lyrics, but if we put it in this context, it's just so much better, you know. Yeah, it makes it so much more engaging. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. And did the Aria nominations come off the back of that, or what did you get nominated for an uh, Aria for? That was like on our third oh, album, so it wasn't. Uh, and then tomorrow came had an Aria nom. Okay. Yeah. 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 How many albums did you put out together? I mean, I did three. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Three and a few singles. and Are you still sort of – have the hoods pretty much taken up all your time now? Is there any sort of plans to get back with Muff and ever do anything? Do you still sort of maintain those relationships or no, – Not really. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, no it's not really. I think I've kind of like – well, <laughs> it's that thing getting back to you before. Like I just follow the music, man. Yeah. So if people stop making music, then yep. um, I just – I'm busy doing other stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess it's not – you know, um, and it's just fine. I mean, I get asked that. A lot, probably not too much these days, but for a mm. while there was kind of like did my fucking head in. But it's just kind of like I don't know. We did our last record in two thousand and eight. That's a long time ago. Yeah, it's a long time. I ago. mean, I don't know if anyone goes back and revisits. Like it's like going back to old relationship or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Be pretty, pretty weird. But you know, you, yeah, it's just one of those things. But I think like also after that record, I kind of. Um, we sort of disintegrated a bit and I wanted to sort of flex doing some other stuff. So mm. um, started, I did, I think after that record, 2009, yeah, here we go. So I did a record with Dielectrics. Yeah, yeah, right, um, yeah. I did a record 
I did a record with um, this cat from America, G Love, which is kind of like a blues rap record. Yeah. And I did a record with Jess Harlan, which was just um, me trying to just do a sort of more blues soul sort of record. I did two with her, two with Dielectrics. Did you do? Um, did you do um, Dielectrics entire album? Yeah, I did oh, two fuck. whole records with him. I did um, Audio Projectiles, yeah, yeah. which was 2009 into 10, and then um, Cold Light of Day. Holy fuck. What was it like stepping in the studio with someone like um, Deech? Because that dude's a fucking – he's a spectacular MC, man. And I've yeah, – like, sorry, um, I forgot. I don't even have that written down. Like, <laughs> I've you know, I've got a few points that I sort of write down that I wanted to touch on and whatever. But, yeah, I, that completely slipped my mind because fucking, man, that – I remember that first Dielectrics album. That was a fucking amazing record, man. That was sick. Yeah, it's funny because I, if I think of um, – like, so, yeah, it's 2010. And yeah, just going was, in with the, I, like a, a real sort of – technical MC that he was like yeah. sort of going from Muff like no no disrespect to Muff because Muff could spit like he rapped mm. but he did what he did he was you know like introspective I think like um I think Dietrich was more uh definitely had more of a technical yeah um ability over Dan but you yeah, know I mean yeah. Did, yeah. did that bring oh, greater energy in you strokes. Towards the What's beats, that, man. Sorry. Did, oh, sorry, dude. I'm talking over you. That doesn't work with Skype. I apologize. <laughs> it's all right, man. Um, did that bring sort of a, a bigger sort of like? Did that bring more sort of technicality out in you, being that he was like a sort of you know, f uh, a yeah, more he was very sport. fucking demanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like uh, I remember, in a good way. Like um, I just remember that track. There's a track called "In a In a Heartbeat," mm. which is kind of like, man, I want to rap over. I want like a you know, a new drum break, break like happening every fucking like four bars or something and the whole yeah. thing changes up. And yeah. so it just turns into, you know, really flex your production skills as far as like what you can pull off. There's like another track somewhere where it slows down, speeds up and then morphs into like another beat and stuff. But yeah, just he's super uh, technically and creative kind of guy. And it's good to, good to have someone like that because you can actually like you know you get to flex stuff that you maybe wouldn't otherwise like you could try something with somebody else and like oh no i just want the i just want that atmospheric beat for the whole fucking four minutes yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas yeah. he was kind of like, like let's try you know because he could do so many things technically let's just try a whole bunch of shit yeah definitely man i remember meeting him once years ago i think it was one of those sort of block party tours or something like that and i remember saying to him i was like man you i think you like to me he was the dopest mc on triple j at that point in time like there wasn't a there was not a more superior mc and that was that period where there was fucking a million different australian hip-hop artists getting triple j mm. play you know like he was easily the most superior spitter on the radio He's, is he a sydney dude or a melbourne dude uh, he's Blue Mountains guy. Oh, okay. So uh, New moved South to Wales. Sydney and then he's he's been in Melbourne for uh, five or six years now, I think. All right. How did you how did you go <clears> making <throat> that record together? Was he in the Blue Mountains at that time? Uh, no, he was in Sydney, but he man, I'm trying to remember. I think we did actually do most of it in the same room together. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a bit of a long time ago now, but yeah, yeah. I think we we definitely had. Um, Especially with the second record, he would come and stay and we'd record and put shit together. We did a uh, bit of stuff just over the phone, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Internet. But yeah, well, um, I suppose it's in, it's intrinsic to making that fucking album experience, you know, like it's, it's that's hard to make if you're just going to do it fucking online and just send beats and, you know, like, I mean, yeah. it, it, it would work. I think we'd do shit independently and then I hook up together, regroup, and then yeah, it would just went in sort of stages like we didn't. Um, sit in the same room the whole time, but yeah, yeah. it was that thing of yeah, it was definitely kind of we we did a lot of it 
um, catching up and uh, working out ideas and stuff. And then you did that um, like a version as well. You did fucking the spider bait cover, eh? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did that. Um, did that the night before we went in to do it. So I think I was. I was. That's right. I was doing. Uh, did a small tour with G Love up the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, when that record came out, and then I, I when I landed in Sydney, I spent an extra day there, and um, ended up staying at I think it was at Randy's place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Dietrich came over and we just fucking worked it out in one night and no went in shit. the next day and performed it. <laughs> no shit. Then I went just, in there the I next morning. It. I just did the whole thing in, in machine. I just used, you know, whatever yeah. synths and shit I had in there. Have you ever met Cram from Spider Bay? You know, drummer no, to drummer? No. no. I mean, you know what? That's a funny thing, man. I've, I've been in the room with so many people mm. and, you know, on tours and backstage and this and that. I'm the fucking worst <laughs> at, um, at meeting people or getting the photo with someone. Like, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just so shy away from that shit. Yeah, dude, you do come across as like the wallflower type dude. Like you don't want to be, you don't want to be in the spotlight, man. You know, you're you're Not happy really, behind the no. drums. No, I find it a bit kind of. Um, I cringe at a lot of that shit. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why. It yeah. just sort of just. Uh, yeah, no, know. you're a mu- like, you're a muso I, man. Yeah, I like meeting people. I like working with people. I just, mm. uh, I don't know. There's certain things about the music industry I find a little bit kind of uh, gratuitous. You know, something the, like that. The self-aggrandizing yeah. fucking, you know. Yeah, it's just kind of like, you know, I fucking, yeah, you know, if I had a, gotten a photo with every everybody I ever met, you know, who's, I don't know, who I'm trying to impress. Yeah, I know yeah. I was there. Yeah. Well, dude, in, man, just yeah. fucking, just, you know, off topic, impress our impress our listeners, bro. Who have you met? Like you, who, like you've toured with fucking countless people, man. I know it's slightly off topic. We will wrap up the obese thing shortly, but like. One of my, one of my favorite moments was, um. I was I did a small tour festival tour with Coolism uh, probably about nine years ago. Yeah, and um, I just remember getting on this bus that was taking us from the airport to the festival, and um, for some reason, me how and Daniel Sun had gone on the the only bus that just just had Erica Badu and her oh, entourage. You're joking. So it was kind of like, oh, we meant to be. I guess we meant to be on this one. <laughs> so so we we get on there and um. And Dan San sits next to her backup singer, which might have been her sister. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah. And um, and so we get on there, and like, and Erica's kind of like one of the last people to get on that bus, and everyone's all her bands. And I think Thundercat was on that. There. Yeah, he was well. a nicest dude as well. Yeah. Fuck. Um, and um, uh, so she gets on the bus, and immediately, just like she's walking up to the center of the bus, and scopes that like oh, these motherfuckers aren't from my band. <laughs> 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 and she just she goes past Daniel San and just goes like. Oh shit! He just grabbed my butt. This guy just grabbed my. You're butt. You're joking! And he just went fucking bright red, and everyone in her band just like started piercing themselves <laughs> laughing. <laughs> Man, it was the funniest shit I've ever seen. Oh, dude, she fucks rappers too. <laughs> dude, Erica Badu fucks rappers. She was with like the DOC, Common. Who else has she been with? Fucking. Oh uh, man, Soul Aquarians and all that yeah, stuff. Bro. Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she's got a kid yeah. to DOC from like the NWA days, and then she was with Common. Yeah, and then she was with someone else, like some other fucking famous rapper and shit. Fuck, how should have tried to smash on that? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's crazy, though, dude. <laughs> Did she boot yeah. you off? But just uh, No, no, no. She's, she was just being funny. Word. She's super, super cool. Yeah, um, fucking word. Yeah, just like lots of moments like that, man. Just uh, funny shit. Yeah, but dude. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, dude, I imagine there'd be fucking, there'd be tons of those. But man, before we get off the obese shit, like I did want to ask you about one track you produced for Bias B. You did Bundles of Bees for Bias? Mm, man, yeah. that's a fucking sick song, dude. I love what he did with it. 
Like, did you did yeah. you just hand him a beat and just you know he did his thing and sent it back, or was there a greater process yeah. there? I think that was just a beat that I had yep. um, lying around. Yeah. Um, yep. And it was one of those things. It's often with uh, production. It's one of those things where like I probably didn't even think that much of it. Mm. That beat, but it takes the right person to with just the right idea to do the right thing over it. And you're like, oh fuck, actually that's fucking dope. But oh, I would dude. never have thought that's what that was going to become. Yeah, man, that's one of those album cuts. That's one of those deep album cuts that I just go fucking wow, boom. You know, like it's it's all there, and it's just so so technically proficient beyond anything. Bias is a bias is a master of you know rapping and whatever. But beyond that, it's just a dope dope beat, dope hook, dope concept. I think dope, it's like a, you know? also a good example of. <clears throat> like probably around that time trying to make these kind of records and thinking about, you know, and, you know, thinking about airplay and like what's going to be our single and mm. this and that. And then simultaneously doing tracks like that with bias. It's kind of like, you know, it's a pretty tough beat and it's kind of yeah. dark and it's just an album cut. And yeah, I kind of like that shit of kind of always being able to simultaneously do stuff like that. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. That's kind of what I thought. Like, I thought you're, um, I, I know in, uh, towards the start of the episode, we talked, or not talked on it, but I mentioned briefly the joint you did with Guilty Simpson, man. Like, that's just fucking, dude, that's a dope song, man. The video's sick. Is that in your studio? Um, yeah, that's, yeah. I'm still in the same spot. Were you um, sort of like, I, I mean, fuck, were you like channeling a Diller in that, in that sort of sense or? To know that that song came out of a jam that me and Daniel-san had. So, yeah. um, it's just, uh, we would sort of, um, get together and just like record stuff and fuck around. It was just, it was basically kind of like eight bars of something we were doing. Yeah, yeah. And I was like that, I'll have some of that. You know yeah. what I mean? And, yeah, um, you know what? It's and not, I, I think I probably played him a bunch of tracks. I probably sent him a bunch of tracks to do and yeah, yeah. Um, he recorded it. That was the other great thing about that song is that actually having him come through and record it and hang out and all that kind of shit. Well, how it big just makes all the difference, you know? Yeah, certainly. And I think fucking, I think, you know, so like <clears> likening it to Dillers, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's, fucking trite and formulaic in a way to me it's more to me it's more sort of um it's de it's you but it's it's like black it, milk in a way it's just got it dude it just right, had a detroit right. sound I mean, it had that look, detroit yeah, he probably he probably picked it because it did have that thing about it yeah but, um, just that i think grunge, also though. at that time i was probably listening to a lot of black milk and stuff yeah yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah, is yeah. funny because i have a yeah well i guess i could say that i have a track with him Oh, for real? Sitting on as well. Whoa. Working on another release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sick. Because Hopefully finish it by the end of this year. I said that last year, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely try and finish it this year and try not to make the tracks go stale. Yeah, certainly. Well, dude, just getting, you know, we'll, we'll round up the OB shit, man. Like coming off the wave, like what happened with Obese, dude? Like you were there, you sort of went from Obese, you sort of moved on and kept sort of pushing with the hoods and shit. What happened? Mm -hmm. Like, is did every artist just fucking evacuate? Like, what the fuck? Well, I don't know. I think there was like a um, there was a lot of us uh, kind of left. Uh, I guess like draft funk, like funk, well, you know, Golden Nearest, the Hoods left and started their own label, which yeah. made a lot of sense. And then they ended up taking a lot of the Adelaide guys guys with them, which yeah. also makes which total sense because that's their homies. Yeah. And um, so I guess a lot, yeah, like a lot of that roster went. Um, and you know, me and Dan imploded. So, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. what happened there. And, um, yeah. and I think that they just went 
this new there was like a second round where they signed um illy fundamentals um dielectrics that's right yeah i'm trying to think yeah there's just a whole bunch of new signings yeah. i think they courted horror show at one point as well it was around that time yeah 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 but um yeah so like you know there was and i don't think i don't know uh, <laughs> Don't know what to say about it really, but I feel like maybe the the newest the, the newest <laughs> the newest signees maybe didn't have the the loyalty that the or yeah. didn't come up in that period where we were building something. Yeah, yeah, true, 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 true. Don't Everyone know. attached I mean, themselves probably, to the probably brand. Different for all those artists, probably had a different, totally different experience to each other. I, yeah. it's pretty hard to maybe make them into one homogenous yeah thing yeah. and they were just like the, they were just the fresh signees so i don't really know because i i think like i started touring with the hoods in 2011 and um because muffin Bluetonic had kind of imploded and i actually had some other um uh personal shit happen around that time and yeah. um into 2012 and i think i just pretty much uh, i i could say i gave up but fucking you know on paper i was still outputting Mm. records mm. so mm. i didn't really stop yeah but i think in a lot of ways i stopped um yeah just i just sort of gave up on that whole i don't know and also like i could see the periphery of um the australian rap thing being something that i didn't really want to participate yeah. in as well i yeah, think there yeah. were a lot of there were a lot of third fourth round things that thought that it was about something mm. that i didn't really i feel like the people i came up with didn't have those kind of um, didn't have that aesthetic or those ideas, and yeah, certainly. Did you? I get, just wanted to. I just wanted to remove myself for a little while there. Yeah, take a step back because that's what I was about to ask. Like, you get to the end of a period of extensive creativity, like where you've been fucking prolific, like a motherfucker. Like you know, mm. you've been doing just joint after joint. You were <clears> responsible for so much of the success of that. I mean, you know, you played a hand in the success of so much of what happened on that label. Do you just get to the end of that and just kind of you don't burn out because music is well, what you yeah, do? Well, yeah, I but mean, uh, yeah, I just had some heavy shit happen, and yeah. uh, to be honest, like for a couple of years there, I was pretty much happy just to be a touring drummer. Yes, it felt felt like it, the pressure was kind of off a little bit, yeah. and um, I just had to, you know, do that, and I could sort of dabble away at doing music at the same time. So it took me a little while. Um, to step back up to being a little bit more serious about it, mm, and being sort of, I suppose, proactive and all that kind of shit. Like, mm, yeah, what but was, it was good to. I mean, just needed to needed to just like not do it for a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's it, man. Like, yeah, it's there's there's always a degree of burnout, you know. Like on any fucking level, man. Like if you're play if you're putting everything you are into, you know, what it is. I mean, there's there's creative burnout, man. That's what it is. If you're in a fucking, yeah, yeah. you know, you're at a desk job, it fucking happens there. That end period man like was it was there just what, what, what was the feeling on the label by the end of uh, it uh, were you kind of just done were you like ah, you I know? Was, yeah I, I kind of felt um to be honest man i felt like a visitor yeah at that i mean i you know i know i had some entrenched kind of stuff that i'd done and built with the label but i think definitely floating in there yeah. 2013 yeah I can't remember exactly when it closed. Might have been 2014, in early yeah. 2014, maybe. Yeah, end of 2013. Um, because they were just doing yeah, the distro thing felt, towards just, the end, weren't they? Like it was just. Well, I just dark. knew I wasn't really participating in the label, um, yeah. and probably you know 
physically and mentally just wasn't really there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and was happy to just to fucking take a back seat. And mm. so mm. it was kind of like, yeah, I just, I, I, to be honest, I don't really know what was happening there because I wasn't really. I wasn't really around in that way like I had been previously. Yeah, the faces started changing and Yeah, you know. Um Yeah. Yeah, it's I can't really Yeah, it seems like a bit of a blur to be honest. Oh, it fucking would be, dude. Like, yeah, you, I mean you were so active during that period, like those years just flew past. Like, you know, it's it's kinda of hard to yeah, believe I mean, it's, it's fucking yeah, you know, it's it's a, that had long, a lot right? to at the end of uh, at the start of twenty twelve, I think it was just me kinda of like um just reevaluating a little bit. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Just, um, yeah, picking up pieces and mm. fuck, what am I going to do next? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I needed, yeah. I needed to get, um, needed to get excited about shit again. Exactly, you know I mean? man. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, dude, being a music fan, man, I've got this question I've got to ask you. I asked Sir Rec, you know, from Death Wish Cast when he was on the show last year and shit like that. You've had the, um, you know, as a music fan, you've had the pleasure of programming Rage. Now, if you came up during the, you know, 80s and 90s and whatever, and you were a music fan, like Rage was where you went, you know, like if we didn't, you, we didn't have the internet as kids, you know, like this is that old mm. mouth talk again. This is that, nah, 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 but we didn't have that shit. So, you know, we used to sit up all night and watch fucking Rage. We get home drunk, you watch Rage, like you put Rage on. That's what it was. You got the opportunity to program Rage, man. What was that? What was that experience for you as a music fan? Like, did you, uh, was it dope or was it shit? Uh, uh, it was dope, but like, I mean, they had at that point when me and Dan did it, they had the actual physical book that you had to go through. Yeah, what did and, don't um, they have like a yellow pages of songs or some shit? That you it had was to kind go of through? just a like big, big ass folder. Oh, right. And um, it was one of those things where I kept thinking of tracks that I would have loved to have played and then go and try and find it, and they just didn't have the video. So oh, you kind of like, um, we just try to keep it. You know, I guess just stuff that was relevant and maybe not exactly what we wanted to play, but close to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, also the other thing I remember about that is just being like, "Fuck it, I'm just terrible in front of a lens, man." <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember sitting there going, "Like, ah, oh, fuck, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know." <laughs> what songs did you introduce? Because I've never seen it. I've just, I, I'm just aware that you did it. Uh, man. Do you remember I, anything offhand that you actually just yeah, spoke it would on? Yeah, it would have been a bunch of like um, native tongues kind of stuff. Yes. And yeah. I'm pretty sure Dan would have probably played a bit of um, like, uh, you know, Grouch and that kind of shit yeah. and maybe yeah. Murs. Yeah. Would have been just – would have been kind of like either early to mid-90s rap or sort mm. of underground stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Or, you know, it's like a your um, – Rhyme sayers and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Would have been that. Would have been. I can't even remember, man. I just remember fucking not really enjoying being in front of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> nah, dude. The, I, I had to ask because when I was a kid, man, my mind used to boggle. And I remember as a kid, I had like fucking. Man, I was an, like a music obsessive. I'd buy anything. Like I was into hip hop, and then I was into mm. punk and metal and all that kind of shit and whatever. And I'd buy Rolling Stones and fucking. Yeah, I used to rap, play, um, rap pages, the metal whatever. In the eighties. I used to be in a few bands. Yeah, I had a band. same metal, but it was more kind of like probably um, trying to play Sabbath covers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I had a band also. But like what I was saying, like I remember there was a Rolling Stone issue in the early 90s and it was um, – it had the top 100 videos banned by MTV or something like that. <laughs> and I remember like – I remember just reading this article and it had like by the time I get to Arizona by Public Enemy, Mind Playing Tricks on Me by Ghetto Boys, fucking – they're the two I remember offhand. There was a bunch of yeah, others. There was yeah. like Madonna videos and fucking um, Depeche Mode videos and all that sort of shit. Yeah, but it was these a real thing for a while. Like, yeah, Australia maybe has always been a bit of a nanny state. 
Yeah, certainly, man. Certainly. Maybe. You know, I, remember, I definitely Queens, remember man. as a kid the era of video nasties. Yeah. Where yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a whole bunch of movies that were just banned. Oh, like, dude, there was tons you know, of Cannibal Hol- Holocaust and all that kind oh, of shit. I own it on DVD, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was a big horror fan for a long <laughs> yeah, while Yeah, I got a Cannibal Holocaust on DVD, bro. Oh, I used to. I don't, I don't know if I still do, but I remember <laughs> buying it. It was like some double pack. But this article, man, and I remember at the time I was like, fuck, if I can ever program Rage, I am fucking playing these videos. <laughs> just That's you know? the thing, though. It's like it's whatever. I mean, you might have your wish list of the most, you know, your top whatever many video clips, but it's whatever they have as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just can't you just can't get anything. Nah, that's, dude. I guess that's the thing about it. I actually did another – I did a another hosted Rage twice. Shit. But um, me and G-Love did it one time and they never aired it. Oh, fuck why? <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what happened. Maybe I was ultra shit that time. <laughs> I just thought, oh, that's fucking no way this is going out. <laughs> Should have pointed a camera at the fucking wall. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, no, fuck it. I just trashed it. Yeah, dude. No, that's unreal. A bit disappointed man. though, man. It's just like, ah, oh, fuck. You know, we spend all that time choosing tracks and stuff. How long do you sit there for? Um, you just do the, you just do the intros, outros. Yeah. So it's not that long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple um, of hours. It's not like you're up with everyone with a cup of fucking cocoa. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're not filming live. <laughs> it's not fucking hey hey it's Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> No, I feel you, dude. Well, you know, that period between obese and then, you know, moving into the, you know, the sort of golden era period, what were you, what, you know, what were you doing in that period? You were just doing a lot of this sort of indie stuff, doing your own thing, recuperating? Uh, yeah, so I uh, worked, I did those couple of Jess Harlan albums. So I guess into 2012, which was my fucking total checkout point, mm-hmm. I still managed to make uh, Cold Light a Day. It took a little bit longer to make. And I remember putting out a Jess Harlan record. And then I just didn't do shit until the end of 2013 where yeah. I did a single, like which was a track I'd been sitting on, and I just did a total indie. I didn't even hire a publicist, didn't do shit. Sick. I just sort of put it out yeah, on, yeah. a, on a 7-inch. And then I, um, Doc Felix hit me up to do something. He wanted to do an EP of instrumentals, mm-hmm. um, but he wanted to do it on a 7-inch. So kind of – that was a bit of a regret there because I think like sonically wasn't as good as we could have made it. Maybe it would have worked better as a 12 or a 10-inch, but um, trying to fit four beats onto a 7 was a bit of a stretch. But, you know, I'm still – What, you fit four beats onto a 7? Yeah, so like – And I think we even made it – it was 33 RPM, which is a bit of a mistake in hindsight. Oh, fuck. Isn't isn't a 7 like – what's a 7? Five minutes a side? I uh, that'd be stretching it. I reckon that'd be stretching it. Yeah, different. exactly. Yeah. yeah, but um, the mu- musically, like both those releases, though, the I think at the end of 2013, that that EP on uh, Doc's label and this and the seven inch that I put out was like I saw that as kind of almost this is marking the next stage kind of thing. Yeah, this is sort of more the shit I want to do now. Yeah, like a you know tied off all that other stuff and. And then I think, um, yeah, I was just like, oh, what was I doing? Yeah, did I did the field notes stuff? Yeah, when was field notes? Uh, so we did. We worked 2016? on that. Uh, yes, yeah, I came out in 2016. I think we worked on it mm. all through 2015 because uh, it took a couple of trips. Both books took multiple trips overseas to get done. Yeah. Um, and for those listening that we, we actually mentioned it briefly earlier when we were talking about like the RDC shit, um, field notes was a book. Do you, you, uh, you and your partner 
did the photography. Yeah, Nicole Reed, who's a um, fucking rock star yeah. <laughs> um, photographer. Um, we sort of uh, decided to do a uh, project together. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, Field Notes is kind of like a photography book. That you kind uh, of scored a soundtrack to in a yeah, way. Yeah, like it's a hardcover photography book. And yeah. the idea is that kind of like the beats – um, that it's like a record goes into the back of this hardcover photography book and the, the beats on, in the, on the record are sort of made from field recordings from yeah, yeah. same locations. Yeah. So it kind of all ties together with sound and, and visuals sort of things. Yeah. So super, super arty kind of project, but hey, fuck, I went to art school, so. Yeah, dude, no, no. Suck it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you, but like, dude, it doesn't have to be fucking, you know, four on the floor, boom, bap, hip-hop, yeah, yeah. man. You know, For like real. it's. So, that was dope, man. It's definitely. Um, I definitely used a lot of uh, stuff that I, w I wouldn't have been able to do on like a rap record or whatever. So mm, mm. Uh, it's definitely me branching out and probably using more sort of ideas that um, and techniques I'd learnt probably in uni, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a bit of a gap there in my production between um, – actually, there's, I did something every year, but like as far as like um, – you know, uh, more substantial stuff. I think um, 2016, I definitely, I'd spent 2015, you know, in earnest writing and recording stuff, which was the Field Notes book that yep. came out, the Hong Kong one, and also was working on my solo full length as well. Yeah. So managed to get those two things out and um, and then, the, and then started working on another Field Notes book and... Are they? Are they? Into, some sermons and stuff. I don't know. If you don't mind me interrupting, do you, mm. what's the process in getting that kind of thing published? Were they independently published, or? Well, that was the thing. Like we, we sort of like, um, we had looked into getting funding and a couple of other things, and I think that was just such a such a weird idea. I think it was like our maybe our failure at sort of articulating exactly what it was. Mm. Um, and we just, I think we tried for a minute there to try and do it through maybe usual avenues. And then we ended up just like thinking, let's just try and let's do a possible campaign. Let's do a crowdfunding campaign see. see where we go with it. Yeah. Uh, which ended up being super successful. I think we raised about 17 grand. Fucking word. Well done. Um, <laughs> well done. Yeah. Cause I mean, the, the thing about, um, it's kind of one of those things where vinyl, and um, hardcover books apparently are kind of both really expensive things to do. Yeah. <laughs> and if you put them and if you put them together at the same time, you're kind of fucked. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> uh, we sort of yeah, we pick two expensive things and put them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're fucking idiots. Yeah. But, no, <laughs> but in saying that, you pick two things. You pick two mediums that mm. really have really have stood the have stood the tef test of time you've yeah, you picked yeah. two I mean, they're, mediums they're both formats that we we feel pretty strongly about like that's Nicole's exactly like right. a avid collector of photography books and yeah it was her first um her first photography books so are pretty chuffed that um ended up getting to collaborate on it and yeah. actually put a soundtrack to it as well oh, but it sort of come it just kind of come from that idea of you know that um the read along storybook amongst other kind of things that I'd seen growing up and collecting records. It's kind of like, man, no one's really doing that 
like a you know a book with a record in it. Bro, it's an experience, you know, like it's it's sitting down, it's audio, it's visual, it's everything, and it's not fucking television. It's it's a book. Mm. It's you know, I like yeah, that yeah. about I like that about what Raf did with Behind the Beat, you know, years ago where he like you know the book of the studios. Like I love, yeah, man, yeah. I, I can sit there and just go on YouTube and watch fucking studio sessions from whoever, you know, like I can watch. Just, I'm the same, man. Watch yeah, cunts totally. recording in studios, man. I can watch that shit. So that book, and then you know you've got a CD that goes along with the book. Like it was, it's, man, it's a dope concept, you know, like it's a yeah, dope thing. Yeah. You should be applauded for what you did, man. Like soundtracking, it's like, it's like movie in a way, you know, it's like film. It's, you know, soundtracking. Yeah, it's like, I guess the, the thing was just to try and um, give the photos a vibe. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah, I guess it's a soundtrack, but it's kind of like just a, a bit more immersive than looking at photos. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. Yeah, it gives you, you know, it's a it's it's a product that you would encourage people to engage with. I mean, you know, if you're listening to this, it's gone, isn't it? It's sold out, isn't it? Um, I think we've got a handful of copies of the first one and a, and a bunch yeah. of the second one yeah. left. But we yeah. did pretty limited. I think we did uh 500 okay yeah of the second one i think we've got maybe 100 left or something oh word okay so you don't have to run to ebay and pay exorbitant fucking sums for it just yet there's probably still some floating around somewhere <laughs> uh, they all you know they all um we recouped our money on both of them and that's the main um, thing yeah it's just like uh, that was i think that was the main idea is that we just will make it and if it pays for itself then that's we're just doing it as an art project we're not yeah. here to fucking um yeah it's not even the thing that yeah, it's just a, it's an art project, pretty That's much. It, That's it. Yeah, it's just a labor of love. It's just a passion. It's just another yeah, ex yeah. another extension of creativity, isn't it? In a way, you know. So that's what it is. But dude, man, as with everything, you know, as with life, man, this shit goes fucking full circle. And you know, I want to get back to that. Sounds like Franco. The sounds like Franco okay. project that you mm. you know you just released recently, and then we'll kind of you know start wrapping things up with the golden era cool. stuff and everything you're working on. But um, man, like I don't, you know, for those that haven't heard it, you can, once again, you could go to Apple music, iTunes, YouTube, go support, dig it up, find it, buy it, purchase it. Don't just fucking stream it, but go to YouTube, suss it out. Sounds like Franco. Um, man, like the Neo soul vibe, the real open atmospheric production, it's dope music, bro. Like it is really good music. It is an extension of the music you've already made throughout the years. I, I feel like it's. How, yeah, I mean, you know, we we touched on it already. Your process in developing new artists, or you know, artists that might may already be established, but sort of you know, lending your expertise to. What future is there in the Franco? You know, in the in well, with that product, with that project. Um, is it just? Yeah, we're sort of we're right. We're written some more stuff, so um, hopefully we can finish another EP before the year's out. Um, I got like a. Trying to finish a, my own record as well. Okay. Um, to hopefully, I can. I have. Um, I have. A, it's got a home and everything to go to. So, um, so I have a label to put that out on, and I have a bunch of features already. Uh, so I'm just. I guess I got to just put my head down and try and um, finish that off. And what I also your... have an. I have another rap project as well, which oh. I've been sitting on for about a year. Word. Just trying to work out. Um, we actually have a. Uh, avenue to put that out now and everything. What was your but it's last? Been, it's been a bit of a struggle. What was your last solo project? 
Uh, it, would have, it was my LP in 2016. So that was um, – Yeah. I was fucking uh, listening to it just recently. Deep Above the deep Noise. Deep Above the Noise, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Which was I, dope because I ended up getting that Vic Music Award and stuff. It was oh, sick. Oh, fuck. True. Did a little tour with Daniel Sun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, true. I was actually listening uh, to it. Yeah, feature I was listening, on Double J, I think it was. Fucking where they word. put the no. old people like me. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, I don't mean to interrupt. I was listening to Deep Above the Noise. I put it on, like, you know, because obviously we knew ahead of time that, you know, you were coming on. And I was like, man, I'd better go through some of this music. And, man, Deep Above the Noise, like, it's uh, – I I haven't spent a great deal of time with it. I'll be perfectly fucking honest. But my listening to it, it was like, to me – Why not, man? <laughs> bro, I'll get to it. Don't worry. I will get to it. I will spend more time with it in the future. But like, you know, if I don't own something on wax, like I'm sort of going through shit and, you know, like I'm just, I got my Apple music and shit, man, you know, so I'll go fucking there and, you know, dig my things out. Like, yeah, but it's, it speaks, man. Like it, it is music. It is in instrumental music that fucking speaks volumes. You know, you don't need an MC over this shit. Like it's just fucking, it's in the same, you know, to me, it kind of reminded me of, um, I remember there was an album called Dead Ringer by a dude called RJD two years ago. Yeah, and yeah. Like I always I that. thought that that music just sort of spoke, you know, and like I've always been a fan of instrumental LPs too. So, I'll, mm. you know, I'll pick up a group home instrumental LP. I'll pick up whatever, you know, like fucking anything. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll love that as much as, or nearly as much as I love, you know, the vocal, the actual album. And yeah, man, like Deep Above the Noise is, is fucking impressive, man. It's a, it's Thanks, a great bro. release. What, what, what label did that come out on? Um, that was on Wax Museum. Oh, okay. So um, through Wax Museum. Yeah. The, the double LP. Yeah. Um, so that was nice. I mean, I've, I've tried to do everything, um, try to do everything on vinyl. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I could. There's one or two things here and there that didn't quite get there, but um, yeah, most yeah. most of the catalogs on wax, yeah. and um, yeah, it was good. I mean, it's got some weird features. Like I remember uh, one one trip to Japan, getting Komachi in a studio and getting that track on there, and yeah. the Kildy Simpson one and the the um, BBRC joint, which is like the other rap record that I have ready to go. Sick. It's like a full length of those dudes from Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. And man, it's just like, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's the best rap record I've done. It's really creative. Sick. Um, yeah. One of the, one of the, the dude bronze, uh, mostly communicate with, he's like a producer as well. So it's been super creative. It hasn't just been like sending a beat and getting raps on it. We've, we've really collaborated on it. Yeah. 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 Um, as far as the arrangements and stuff goes. How do you go with those international collabs? Like, you know, if you like, I mean, the internet's, the internet's broken down walls in that regard, but mm. you know, do you find the creativity, this, you know, do you find an, a, a good, a decent extension of creativity or? Yeah. I try, I try not to do stuff that way. Actually. I try to yeah. get people in the studio as much as I can, which I've been lucky enough to be able to do. But with that project, it just wasn't possible, even though, um, touring through Toronto, I've hung out with them a couple of times. And mm. so we do, you know, have gotten to know each other. Um, but just from a logistic point of view, we've actually just had to do it over the internet, that one. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I got that in the bag and Franco will continue hopefully and yeah, and uh, then do my solo record. As will your, I suppose your touring schedule. Are, are, are there any plans to release on Golden Era, like future projects, or are you just sort of? Yeah, well, uh, the next the next two rap things will be on Golden Era. Sick, sick. Um, yeah, so I mean, and the Franco stuff, we'll just we're going to stick with low key source because yeah. I feel like that's a good, it's a good hybrid kind of label. They have stuff like Lady Six and it seemed, you know Black Milk, and it seems like the right kind of fit. yeah, the the right avenue for that 
sort of that music, you know, like, I mean, I, I don't know. I think I read something where they labeled it Neo soul or something. Does that sound yeah, fair? Yeah. I mean, I don't call it that. Yeah. yeah I know. I know. <laughs> it's like, it's funny what you mentioned earlier in the interview about like the, um, kind of like that post punk thing almost like yeah. some of it almost sounds like that to me. It's kind of yeah. like, I don't know. I just, I just call it like electronic soul music. Yeah, definitely. But yep. you know, people will just put into whatever box they want, I guess. Well, but got to. Yeah, I definitely want to push some more of those little angles with it as well. It's not so much kind of like, you know, new soul, neo soul or whatever. It's like we have all these other influences in there as well. No, a hundred percent, man. And it's, you know, what you've done so far is, you know, it's fucking, it's dope music, man. It's music, you know, it's music you can put on with your missus, you know, like it's just fucking, it's good music, you know? Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Man, dude, listen, we've had you for, you know, two hours now. And, man, as I've fucking stated at the start, we can't thank you enough for your time. Like, you know, you've given us so much, you know, like so much to come and whatever. Man, is there anything you want to you want to leave us with? Like you've got the big tour coming up with the hoods. What should yeah, we be yeah, looking out for? Fuck, man, that takes me all the way up to December. So yeah, that'll start in about five weeks or something. That's unreal. Um, Do you just, go into, you just go into a rehearsal space and start putting the sets together? What's the... What's the process um, in putting those haven't big got, shows haven't together? gotten to that point yet. Yes, yeah, in the past we've gotten gone to a venue and just booked a venue out. Yeah. Um, and then because we can run, um, because it's not just the band. We have like lighting and yeah. Um, yeah. all kinds of stuff to you know for a, especially for a stadium show because we're doing a run of uh, stadiums. Um, <laughs> Fucking, fucking guns and roses over here arena in an <laughs> afternoon, which is just nuts, man. That Dude. just blows my mind. To have to put on another Rod Laver arena show because you sold it out. So Unbelievable, quick. man. That's just like that. Just that's just crazy, man. But even the river but, um, stage, like you, you, you sold out the river stage up here in the river that's stage. Right. I think there's another one added to that too. Yeah, can you get us on that? I'm gonna put you on the spot, bro. Can you get me in? <laughs> if possible. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you go. I mean, the, yeah, the rehearsals of it's, you kind of like run it like you're running a show, but there's no one else there, but the crew, cause there's like, there's a substantial crew now. Oh, well, I'd, I'd imagine the, 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 the hoods are an industry now, aren't they? Like, you know. Yeah. I mean, I just want the fucking the last kind of like, not the capital city run, but we did like a, wasn't the, the orchestra run. Mm. It was um, kind of like a, a semi kind of rural run. We did a couple of years ago mm. and it's basically like. You go somewhere like um, Cairns and because there's not a venue big enough, you just go to whatever the, the football oval there and you <laughs> you set it, you put a fucking fence around it and build a stage and rigging and you put it, you kind of put it on like it's a little festival, but it's yeah. just their gig. It just blows my mind, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm very lucky. I feel, you know, lucky as shit to be able to, you know, be a part of it in some way. Oh, it's a, it's a, you know, you're in a fortunate position, but it's a position you've earned too, dude. Like, you know, you've clearly put the work in for fucking years and years and years and you're a passionate, you're, you're, you're a fan of music at the end of the day. And that's what shines through. And I remember what Jay-Z always said about fucking music. He goes, man, the funny thing is we didn't quit. <laughs> you know, like yeah, when they yeah, asked him about it, his success. Thing. It's just be having that longevity. And yeah. I, f I feel it's also, it's a lot of that shit is personalities, man, too. Mm. It's like, um, you know, especially having something that lasts for a while if you get get along with people like you know may not be the fucking best drummer in probably my suburb mm. but 
<laughs> you know, like we get along really well and like you know it works for what it is it's the right fit you know yeah 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 definitely definitely how many people like just before we get out of here i mean just just continuing on that because you've sparked my like my imagine how, how many people are the the hoods employing these days or are they just employing regionally so when they hit a center they employ no, we the have people a, there? we have a, a dedicated crew i thought they um were. so there's like a there's as uh, tour manager manager lighting side stage sound front of house sound mm. um then there's one, three, one, seven of us on stage on i think stage, yeah um says so they're already there there's like it's almost fucking 20 people at this point yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah fucking a yeah so it's a big touring party it's an industry all yeah, right, mate. Well, it's cool. fucking, it's exhausting to even fucking hear you say, mate. Get some rest ahead of that tour and, um, man, get out there and just fucking do it, bro. And once again, thank you for your time and thank you for all Thanks, your, thank you for your contributions. Thank you for what you've done. And man, thank you for the interview. Peace, man. Thank you so much. Easy, bro. Any shout outs before you go? Anything you just want to fucking say or we'll get out? Uh, nah. Nah, that's it. Man, go support Platonic <laughs> Lab. Get onto those Hilltop Hood shows while they're still, you know, like, this will probably drop in a week or so. So, yeah, every 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 stop will be sold out by the time this fucking goes. You know, by the time this is live. But man, once again, thank you very much, bro. Cheers, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your time, man. That's a wrap. Cheers, bro.